Member Larkin? Here. Member McHugh? Absent. Member Mills? Here. Member Natoli? Here. Member Patoha? Present. Vice Chair Post? Here. Member Matthews? Here. Item number two, opportunity for the public to comment on any matters within the committee's jurisdiction that are not on the agenda. I have some handouts, please. Sure. Thank you. Here's your extra copy. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. Good morning. My name is Jerry Drattler, and I'm a retired CPA and served as a civil grand jury member of Seagobach in 2015 and 16. There are only four Seagobach meetings per year, so I thought it would be useful to share with the new members the specific responsibilities of serving on Seagobach and my specific concerns. When you were sworn in as commissioners, you took an oath that you would exercise your responsibilities consistent with the city charter. The two sections of the city charter that spell out your responsibilities are Article 5 and Appendix F. I've handed out copies of both. In both sections, there are responsibilities you shall execute and responsibilities you may execute. It goes without saying the shall activities are mandatory. On page two of Article 5, I highlighted section 5.31A, which enumerates what you shall do. Section B enumerates activities C. Gobach may engage in. When I served, I was very concerned the bulk of the C. Gobach meeting hours were allocated to may engage in activities, specifically reviewing departmental bond reports to the exclusion of most of the shall activities. On page three of article 5.32B, I highlighted the requirement the committee shall issue an annual report at least once a year. I would think the report should assure the citizens C. Gobach has completed all of its shall do activities. On page three of appendix F, that's the second handout, I highlighted F1.100D8, which authorizes C. Gobach to function as the Independent Citizens Audit Review Board and to review whistleblower complaints. On page nine of Appendix F, I highlighted section F1.111, which assigns C. Gobach the additional duty of serving as the Citizens Audit Review Board and shall review review controller's service standards for accuracy and usefulness and review all audits to ensure they meet the requirements set forth above. I don't see where this responsibility is given any meeting time during the year and is adequately reported in the C. Goldbach annual report. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Dottler.
Any other public comment? Seeing none, do we move on to the next? Item number three, approval with possible modification of the minutes of the October 21st, 2019 meeting. Any comments, any changes? Yeah, I saw a date that, <clears throat> excuse me, I saw a date that, okay, it's gonna be one of those mornings. Um, I had some questions about that I marked in my notes. Um, where did I put those? In item four, it says um, the Recreation and Parks Department is planning for the 2020 bond projects. They're scheduled for the June 2020 ballot. We don't have a June 2020 ballot this year. Uh, just oh, why are we going to have a June 2020 ballot? Congress. Oh, we have our primary ballots March 3rd. I know, but we elect members of Congress every two years. Yeah, but that will be on November, correct? We don't have a June election this year, as far as I'm aware. Don't have uh, a primary. <laughs> the primary is on March 3rd. No. <laughs> the primary is on March 3rd, and the general election is on... No, I know. Yeah, so, but I don't think we have a June one. That's, yeah. uh, that's all I was trying to clarify there. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> Any other changes? Uh, is there any public? Do you know, sir? No, sir? I mean, <laughs> does anyone in the audience know? Do we have a <laughs> do we have a June primary for Congress and for primary elections? Anybody know? Primaries no. March 3rd. Our primaries are on March third. Presidential. No, right. our primaries for everything are on March third. Yeah, okay, I guess. Okay. Yeah. It's for Congress as well. Oh, okay. So. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, is there any comment on this item? Public comment, sorry. Seeing none. Okay, I'll go ahead and call number four. Move, item. Move to approve. Second. <laughs> Move to approve. Second. You seconded. Okay. So item number four, presentation from the port regarding the 2012 park bond and possible action by the committee in response to such presentation. Great. So as everybody knows, this is a holdover from last week, our last um, meeting, because the port was not here to present. Um, the way this is agendized is for um, the 2012 parks bond. So uh, I would urge our parks representative um, that we're not going to be discussing 2008, which is actually in their presentation. This is agendized as 2012. 2012 is in your presentation? Yeah, so I would just skip the 2008 ones. Um, and we agendized for 10 minutes because we had to move it on to this, into this meeting, which is a pretty long meeting as it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the other, um, uh, for the other members, um, uh, the seawall project has, has actually, was passed by the voters fairly recently, um, and the port is also be representing that, which is a much larger amount of money that we will be governing. No, I think if it's not up there, then we don't see it.
Okay. So um, okay. Ten minutes. Okay. okay. Uh, good morning, um, committee members. My name is Shannon Cairns, and I'm from the Port of San Francisco. Yeah, and I will be presenting on the 2012 um, geobond for waterfront parks. Um, okay, so the the bond was approved in November 2012, and there were um, four components of it, and I'll be speaking about the waterfront parks component, and um, that was $34.5 million, and these are projects that are led by the Port of San Francisco. There were six um, waterfront parks funded by this bond, and one of them has been completed. That's what you see the first one on the slide there. The um, cruise terminal plaza at Pier 27 was completed in September 2014. And then there are five active projects, four on this slide and then the fifth on the next slide. So Agua Vista Park um, is currently in the design phase and that will be uh, delivered with the Mission Bay Ferry Landing project. And we are currently preparing to go out to bid for that project, which will include Agua Vista Park, and we expect completion of the entire project, including Agua Vista Park, in November or in fall of 2012. Uh, the next project, active project, is Islaus Creek, and that was originally funded for $2 million. Um, we um, defunded that all except for $250,000. The reason for that was we needed to do a feasibility study and um, because we are coordinating with Public Works and the PUC who have work in that area. And so we need to closely coordinate the work and see what is feasible for our project given the work that they will be doing on um, the bridge in that area and, and PUC infrastructure. And so the $250,000 is being used for a feasibility study. And if proven feasible, then the 250000 also will be used for design, and then the port will seek additional funding for construction. The other reason that we opted to defund that is given the coordination that was needed, we knew that we would not be able to complete the project and spend the $2 million within the um, time frame needed. And so um, that leads me to Heronshead Park, because we funded Heronshead Park with the money we moved off of Islaus Creek. And so Heron's Head Park is currently in design, and the project is scheduled for completion in November 2020. It's at 95% design right now. <clears throat> uh, the next project is the Pier 27 art project, also currently in design, and um, the San Francisco Arts Commission is um, beginning artist selection, and the project is scheduled for completion in fall 2021. The, the final of the projects funded in the 2012 waterfront projects funded in the 20, with the 2012 bond is um, Crane Cove Park. Um, so Crane Cove Park is um, currently under construction, and um, we it will be completed in um, spring 2020. Um, there's, there are other components to Crane Cove Park that will go beyond 2020, but all of the, the geobond funds are for completion of the park, and the park itself is under a separate contract that will be completed in spring 2020. Um, so this pie, par pie chart just shows the waterfront park allocation, and so you see the whole pie is 34.5 million. 
Um, we so far have expended 23.7 million, um, leaving the balance of 12 million. And this is where you can see the, what balance is left. Um, the majority of it is on um, Crane Cove Park, which I explained will be expended in spring this year, and Agua Vista Park, which will be with the Mission Bay Ferry Landing to be completed in fall of 2021, and with uh, Heron's Head Park that will be completed in um, fall of 2020. Um, this is just a slide showing you the schedule that I just explained for um, the parks. And I am happy to answer any questions should you have them. So I think I was assigned as a liaison. So I reached out to a Brad Benson. Is that in your department? Is Brad Benson somebody that uh, I should be talking Brad to? Brad is at the port, and he is the leader of the resilience program. We're in different divisions, like I'm okay. in the engineering division. Okay. So I, I got no response from Brad, though. So at some point, we need to find someone, a contact for me that I can actually get a hold of and respond. That'd be great. So if you can give me that. Sorry, for... So we, we have um, uh, assigned liaisons to each bond. Um, oh, we've been doing okay. this for about four, four years of, of having a liaison, um, and we generally reach out personally, one of us, um, to have a conversation before you guys come in and present to oh, okay, great. be able to have some. Okay, so you're, you're saying that you reached out to Brad and he responded to you, or no, you're still I, looking for a, a liaison? I'm liaison. I'm looking for someone to, who's going to respond to my... Or liaison. Yeah, to respond to me. So, okay. yeah, I reached out to Brad. I got no response, so... If, Maybe you I'm happy. Yeah, I'm happy to have you reach out directly to me. I, so I manage the um, project management office within the engineering division. And so most of the projects will fall within my realm. I wouldn't say I can't guarantee 100% of them will, but I can certainly be that contact for you to get you to the right person in the port if you have a question about a project that's not within um, the engineering division project management office. Excellent. Could you leave a card or contact information? From, with Mary. Yes, Mary. absolutely. Thank you. Um, are you, is the seawall under your purview? No, that would be Brad Benson in the resilience program. Okay. Mary, can you reach out to Brad and, and let him know that we'd like a response next time that we are the governance for his bonds? I have a question. Okay. Yes, please. Um, where do you anticipate getting the 2 million that you'll need for Isaiah's Creek now that what you had had to go to somewhere else? Well, I think that um, through this feasibility study, we don't know if it will be $2 million because we are figuring out the um, what the project can be given the um, infrastructure that's in the area. And so um, so there's a – so I don't – we don't know exactly because we don't know how much will be needed, and we don't also know if we will be partnering with other agencies that are doing projects in the area as well um, as a part of their projects. And so it's a, it'll be a collaboration and coordination with multiple agencies to figure out what the project is and then probably the cost share for that project. And given that answer, um, the port will investigate um, where to get the funds for that. So basically this, this park is on hold, may or may not be funded with public funds even. Conceivably, could a private developer in that area pick up some of the cost? Is that what you're implying? Maybe. I, I didn't mean to imply that. Oh. But, but, but I, I mean, mean, it sounds I guess like it's not, it from the way you're describing sorry. it. Sorry, I guess meant that we don't know how much money we'll need right. and therefore what sources um, will right. be available to us. 
because we don't have on this specific project, first we need to, to do this feasibility analysis. Right. And I just have a question because I'm one of the newer members. So when a project like Isaiah's Creek comes on for the voters and it's included in the list of projects, uh, parks that we voted on, yet it seems it wasn't very well planned out or designed out or thought out, I mean, given your description of what still needs to be done, is that normal for it just to be sort of a, oh, let's put a creek, or excuse me, let's put a park here at Isaiah's Creek and put it on the ballot? I mean, it just seems like it, starting from scratch on something that I thought would have been just a little more fleshed out before going on the ballot. Is that, maybe that's not the way it works, but... Um. Well, I would say it's not normal. I'd say the majority of the projects do continue on. And in this case, the majority of the projects have continued on in the, the form that they were conceived as. I um, I don't know, and I could get back to you about the specifics of the genesis of this project. I wasn't I wasn't in this role in working at the port when that when that happened. Um, and so um, my- But this is unusual is what you're saying. I think it's unusual, it's yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you. Um, what body approved moving that money, that $2 million, from one project to another? Um, I would have to get back to you on that. I don't know. That that would be great. You could respond to Mary, and she'll send it out to us. I have somebody here who knows a bit more about the, pro the specifics of the project, so Dan Hodap could answer some of your questions <coughs> if you'd like to hear Just that specific. one question. Okay. So if you know what body approved that, that would be great. Dan Hodap with the Port of San Francisco. I do not have the answer as to what body moved that funds. Mm -hmm. um, just a little bit about this Leis Creek project. It's a creekside connection between two spaces. The Port does not own, uh, does not control property beyond this very narrow creekside piece, so there would not be a private development interest. The Port is committed to con completing this connection between um, pieces of uh, to the east and west of it, basically, without going into detail on it. And it's really figuring out what the scope of that would be and how we would fit that into some of the other efforts in the area. So. Thank you. Great. OK. Uh, any other member comments? Is there any public comment? Good morning, my name is Jerry Drantler. Um, I have three general questions that address financial oversight of specific bonds, which should be asked in all presentations or answered. Using the current project forecast, the amount the project is estimated to exceed the original budgeted cost. That wasn't disclosed. Two, the sum of the actual change orders and projected change orders and what percentage they represent of total project cost. Will they exceed 2% of project cost, which is DPW's operational standard? Three, the sum of project management costs, including both outside consultants and DPW project management charged against the bond, and what will the percentage be of total project cost? We need to be mindful of duplication of costs. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Mr. Drattler. Any other public comment? Seeing none, thank you for your time. Item number five, presentation from various departments about the 2010 and 2014 earthquake safety and emergency response bonds and possible action by the committee in response to such presentation. 
Good morning, President Chu. Good morning, Commissioners. My name is Charles Aguirres. I am with Public Works. I am uh, currently Acting Director of Project Management, uh, but you also know me as the ESER Bond Program Manager. So I'll be introducing our presentation here, and then I will be turning it over to the project managers who actually are the day-to-day -day managers of the work effort for the particular bond components. So as you can see by this first cover sheet, um, we have a variety of different departments within each bond program uh, that benefit from these bond funds. Uh, specifically, as a generally first responder style bond program, we have police and fire and also the PUC, which uh, has management responsibilities of the uh, dedicated firefighting water system. So those three components are both co are common rather to both ESER 2010 and ESER 2014. In addition, in ESER 2014, we introduce um, the Office of Chief Medical Examiner. Uh, for those of you familiar with that function, it also is um, very much adjacent to emergency response. And so in that respect, it fit, fits nice, neatly rather within the, the mantle of the Earthquake Safety and Emergency Response Bond Program. So moving ahead to the next slide here. Um, I won't steal the thunder of my manager, so I won't speak to highlights and accomplishment. I'll ask them to certainly focus on that in their presentation. Um, in regard to upcoming milestones, what we have typically continuing as an endeavor is the closeout, the financial closeout of projects. That's the administrative you know, completion of the work. And that takes much longer than any, any one of us would like, but eventually we do accomplish that, and that cinches it up and neatly, in a sense, sets it aside. We're also, within Milestones, um, uh, going to be uh, experiencing, I guess is the word, a very special event tomorrow, probably late at night, I, th I think, at this juncture, uh, the arrival of the float that will form the uh, structure, the substructure of the new fireboat station. Uh, that float will be arriving at uh, Treasure Island Pier 1 uh, late tomorrow night. Uh, don't know when it will be set in the water so that it can be moored at Pier 1 for construction, but it should be happening, I guess, at this juncture sometime in the early morning of the 29th. So that will be an exceptional uh, event insofar as I don't think it's ever happened in the history of the city. Um, Traffic Company Friends and Services Division uh, just poured uh, its ground floor uh, mat, its foundation mat. Uh, that happened over the weekend. And uh, Michael uh, Rosetta will be sharing with you some of the uh, upcoming events regarding that project. Uh, we have fully sold all bonds for both programs and have apportioned them, and we'll speak a little bit about the financials later. Uh, risk issues and concerns generally continue, so to speak, but since we've pretty much um, accomplished most of the work of both bonds, uh, the, the threat or the challenge of a challenging bit of environment is, has lessened dramatically in regard to its impact to our bond. Um, and I'll stop there, if that's okay with you all, and move on to the, the presentation of the Public Safety Building, which actually is me. Uh, this project completed a while ago, so not much is needed to be said other than, as I mentioned, we're continuing that administrative closeout of the project. Pro project has been occupied fully uh, by both police and fire, who both uh, have facilities within this larger public safety campus. And um, with that, 
I'll move on to the next item and introduce both Magdalena Ryer and Sherry Katz, who have, uh, in a sense, a share of the work being done within neighborhood fire stations. Since we only have one microphone, uh, I'm going to ask Sherry to introduce her focus scope after I tell you about the seismic upgrade and new projects. Um, my name is Magdalena Ryer. I'm project manager at um, Public Works. Um, good morning, President and the uh, committee members. Uh, I will start with the, uh, providing you with the status update on Fire Station 5 and 16. Fire Station 5 is literally a few days away from the issuance of the final closeout package. There are just minor items to be completed on the punch list. Um, and uh, we should be issuing that package, and then this will, uh, the financial closeout will follow up. Um, on Fire Station 16, that package, final package, was already issued in July of last year, and now we are proceeding with the financial closeout, and the contractor is working on just a couple of uh, warranty items. Um, and um, so on that next slide... I wanted to highlight, uh, talk about uh, Pier 26, uh, which is uh, a smaller project uh, provided uh, to accommodate birthing of the fireboats while we are constructing the uh, facility on the float uh, for the firefighters. Uh, that project has been delayed. We had some problems with the PG&E and scheduling uh, their inspections. And also, uh, contractor Vortex, they needed to change uh, electrical subcontractor um, and had to, had to be replaced. So that took a, lo a little bit of time. Uh, and our designer um, needs to update the drawings to finish the remaining electrical work, which we anticipate will be around mid-February or earlier. Um, and Fire Station 5, I think Charles promised not to steal the thunder <laughs> from my but he did, because the main, uh, the main event is happening tomorrow at 11.30. We were told that the float is going to come to our bay, and then it will be inspected. And after the inspection and customs control, uh, will be delivered to um, Treasure Island, where the design-build entity will start constructing the facility on top of the float. So we are very excited about it. And um, with that, I will turn over to my colleague, Sherry Katz, and she will talk about the focus scope. Good morning. Um, as uh, Magdalene said, I'm Sherry Katz. I'm the project manager for all of the focus scope projects under uh, some under 2010 and 2014. Um, the apparatus bay doors, uh, oh, thank you. Um, starting February 1st and um, ending uh, in May, um, 25 of the apparatus bay doors, 25 of the fire stations um, in the apparatus bay door program will be completed. Um, that brings a total of 36 fire stations in which we have changed out um, all of the apparatus bay doors. Um, showers has, is completed at fire stations 19, 17, and 33, and um, that completes the shower component of the focus, focus scope program. 
Um, also, uh, exterior envelope uh, at Fire Station 8 has been completed, and now we're in the process of um, continuing on with Fire Station 29, and then there'll be one final station, Fire Station uh, 23, which will be done uh, hopefully this spring, summer. And uh, that completes my section of the presentation, so thank you. So I'd like to now, I'd like to now ask David Myerson with uh, Public Utilities Commission to speak about the um, emergency firefighting water system. Good morning, my name is David Meyerson, project manager with SFPUC. Uh, we're getting into the final stages of the ESER 2010 and ESER 2014 bond work. Um, we have some planning efforts underway where we're designing uh, a new potable emergency firefighting water system for the Sunset and Richmond districts. So we've got a, a substantial engineering effort underway right now to try and finalize that design and move forward um, will be dependent on the passage of ESER 2020 uh, for full funding of the pipeline that we intend to install, but uh, we are getting prepared at this point. The 19th Avenue pipeline, uh, we will remove a 12-inch and install a new 20-inch AWSS pipeline from Irving to Kirkham. That's part of a public works contract, a small component, and that's out to bid with the bids due in February. On Terry Francois Boulevard from Mission Rock Street to Warriors Way, uh, we will be putting in new AWSS pipeline uh, to help serve that area with the new developments that are occurring. That'll be part of a design-build contract, DB129.1, which also includes a large electrical system that we're building. Ashbury Bypass Pipeline, I believe all the work is uh, close to being done or is done. It's in its final stages of completion. Learn and supply, I expect that to go out to bid in the next few weeks. Pump Station 2 is a rather large project, structural improvements at the north end of Van Ness, and uh, that will continue throughout 2020. And uh, we have some relatively minor street valve motorization projects that uh, our city distribution division is undertaking. Are there any questions about the emergency firefighting water system? Not at this time. Thank you. Um, and I will also be reporting on the uh, uh, police uh, facilities. Uh, so we have three contracts and total nine uh, facilities uh, in those three contracts. So Northern Richmond and Taraval renovation project that should be really done anytime. We are finalizing, we're doing the back check of the patch, punch list and, um, and the same situation is on the Park and Ingle side. Thank you, Sherry. A renovation, the only uh, delay that we're experiencing is at the Bayview and Tenderloin, specifically at Tenderloin, where inspector came to sign off on the work and proceeded to add a lot of scope of work, which is unfortunate, but um, at the same time, it's, it's needed, and we just cannot say no to this. <laughs> we won't get the sign-off. So this is going to delay the project a little bit. We think we'll be able to finish it, though, mid-February at the latest. Any questions? 
Thank you. Oh, yes, and of course, my favorite project, <laughs> Office of the Chief Medical Examiner. Um, uh, yes, so, I mean, uh, the, the client moved in two, over two years ago to the facility. It has been open. There's one warranty item still under um, re review and, and work by the contractor and the designer, K KMD. Uh, so we are working on uh, resolving. It's the hammer water issue. Um, and the, the, the very last is the lead gold, which we are pursuing. And five of our credits that we submitted are under review. We, uh, they were originally rejected, and we are now challenging that rejection. So uh, we are keeping our fingers crossed because we are literally need all five to get the lead gold. It's very difficult to get. Uh, it, it's, it's a laboratory healthcare facility. Very difficult to get a gold uh, accreditation. Thank you. Good morning, I'm Michael Rossetto, uh, project manager of the traffic company and forensic services division project. I'm very pleased to um, speak about the fact that construction started in October and quite a bit of accomplishment has been made. Already the deep foundation work is complete, including an indicator pile program where uh, a certain number of piles are driven to bedrock and then tested for strength. That uh, went very well and allowed the production pile uh, installation to begin in early October, and that completed as well. And as Charles mentioned, this past Saturday was the pouring of the mat slab. So that concludes all of the foundation work. And over the next week to a week and a half, we will see above grade structure begin to rise. So we're very excited about that. Uh, we have very many uh, permit applications in to D Department of Building Inspections the largest of which is the architectural and mechanical electrical plumbing application, uh, over 700 sheets involved in that one review. Um, and DBI is quite busy, um, so it is challenging to get uh, accomplishment of some of these uh, permit review applications. However, we have recently received uh, two of them. One is note noted here, and one came in last week for uh, brace frames, so we are making accomplishments there, and that is holding to the project schedule. Uh, we also recently, in December, had a um, great success with the Arts Commission, concluding our civic design review process with the unanimous approval of phase three. Upcoming milestones, um, this is actually now something in the past, 100% construction documents were received on January 8th by the architects, HOK. We are in the process of bidding out. We are approximately 91% bought on the project. We have had to throw out one um, miscellaneous metals bid that came in significantly over budget, and we are rebidding that and uh, trying to conclude the remaining seven or 8% of the buyout for the project um, within this month and, and probably into early February. We are looking at a topping out uh, ceremony to be scheduled probably for the end of April, early May, which will be a, a great uh, milestone coming up. Any questions?
Thank you. So in regard to budget status and financial plan for ESER 2010, as you can see from the graphic, uh, we are at 92% expended. Um, we're literally uh, managing several few projects remaining, uh, and we should have those completed this year. In regard to uh, ESER 2014, uh, we're about 50% expended. Uh, most of that balance, uh, remaining balance, accrues to the completion of the, <clears throat> excuse me, traffic company project, uh, as well as uh, the fireboat station project, and of course um, projects for the um, emergency firefighting water system. But all those are tracking uh, according to our current plan, uh, and those projects, for the most part, will be completed next year. And with that, uh, we'd like to conclude the presentation and ask for any questions you might have. Um, before we do that, uh, this is so for the members, as you know, um, DPW is uh, providing a, um, as, is acting like a contractor to the departments that are benefiting from this, so specifically the fire department and the police department. Um, and so I'd like to take an opportunity, as I usually do, to ask the fire department and the police department if you have any comments for us um, on how you see the, the quality of the work going. Is it meeting your expectations? Feel free to not comment, too, if anybody, if, or if there's nobody here from the police department or the fire department, that's fine, too. Good morning. Uh, my name is Dawn DeWitt. I am the Assistant Deputy Chief, San Francisco Fire Department Division of Support Services. I pretty much have the same comments that I had last time I was here, and it's just that I'm really appreciative of the level of service that DPW is offering us. Um, I feel like the people who have been chosen as our project managers are very much on top of what's going on and are really advocating on our behalf to save us money and to um, <clears throat> address the problems that have come up with Fire Station 16. There have been some problems that have been ongoing. There have been some design problems and some mechanical issues. We've had some electrical issues, but uh, Magdalena has been on top of them every step of the way and has been following up, and I really feel like that they're doing a fantastic job. That's great so to hear. I appreciate the collaboration and um, Kathleen O'Day for our uh, ambulance deployment facility projects has just been like looking to save us money at every term. So I really feel like they're working hard to keep the bond and all of the projects within budget. So nothing but good things from me so far. <laughs> great. Thank you. Any other comments? Um, should we take public comment now? For my questions. questions? Before, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, good morning. My name is Jerry Drantler. We just sat through an update on the status of actual project construction milestones, but very little was said about the financial metrics of the project. See Gobach's principal responsibility. I just presented three important financial expenditure questions, actual cost versus original budget, change orders as a percent of total project cost, and duplication of project management costs as a percent of total project cost. The recent presentation provided no insight on these important expenditure metrics. 
This is a great example of what C. Gobach may do, but not what it shall do. The public safety building, which was mentioned, was a major project. It would be very interesting for DPW to present a final financial summary of the public safety building, which breaks out change orders, construction costs, which are hard costs, and soft costs, which include things like design, construction management, and other consulting charges. It appears there was a significant amount of duplicate cost charged to this $200, $250 million project for construction management. I believe you will find this building has soft costs uh, around 20% of total expenditures, which is excessive. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Jatler. Lauren is our uh, liaison for this project. Thank you. Um, I have, do have some questions for Mr. Higueras and for Mr. Rosetto. Uh, uh, they've been very kind. Mr. Higueras and his staff have been very kind in showing me some of the bond-funded projects they've described today, which I will talk more about in my official liaison report later this year. For now, I just have a, a few questions. Um, and they're more general questions, but one on the public safety building, if it, it was delivered in 2016, why is closeout taking so long? We're four years later. Could you give some reasons for that? That's an excellent question. <laughs> um, you know, for that answer, I think I'm going to uh, call on my chief analyst, Kelly Griffin. She handles the day-to-day matters that pertain to our projects by and large, but as well, she actually grapples with matters of uh, financial closeout uh, more directly. So in fairness to her, I don't want to misrepresent her work effort or, or diminish it. So I, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm going to ask her to speak to it. Thank Kelly. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, Kelly Griffin, senior analyst for ESER 2010 and 2014. Um, <clears throat> there's a variety of contract closeout items that you have to uh, obtain before closing out any remaining encumbrances. And um, also, Arts Commission is allowed to continue spending uh, based on their ordinance. So uh, a variety of items that kind of continue on after the project is built and occupied. I can provide um, a more detailed explanation uh, when I have a little more time to prepare for this question. but. Um, Hopefully, high level for now is acceptable, and I can certainly respond to you. Yeah, that would be great. I just okay. think, in general, yeah, absolutely. It, it seems like a long closeout, and sure. I would it would be helpful to know. Yeah, if there were some extraordinary circumstances, or yeah, I know this was a particularly large project, but right. Thanks. So, so maybe um, we can we you and I can follow up on that. Yeah. Perhaps in my liaison report, I can address. Sure. It. Thank you. Thanks. And then my next question um, is for Mr. Garris. Um, for example, at some of the uh, the projects, say I vote for a bond project in, on the November 2010 ballot. Why would it take 10 years for that fire station, for example, to be completed and delivered? Could you give some reasons why at, when voters vote for a bond, we think, okay, there's a, obviously a, there's an uh, immediate need for fire station upgrades, for example, I'm going to support this bond, but, but then 10 years before it, everything's really wrapped up as a voter, I think, well, maybe there wasn't an immediate need or how are they? So anyway, if you would just address, what are some of the reasons that you encounter in delivering projects, why things take so long? Another excellent question. 
Um, you know, not all projects are like the proverbial starting line in a race where the gun goes off and everyone, everything rushes ahead. Um, there's a variety of reasons, and this could constitute a whole morning, but um, we, for example, like to schedule projects according to how they um, uh, impact the operational affairs of the particular department. So our ambition, for example, on fire was not to launch uh, two brand new fire stations at the same time they were intended uh, to be end-on-end, uh, -end, if you will, so to minimize the consequence to the fire department. Unfortunately, that best laid plan proved unsuccessful because of the delays that we experienced on Project 16, which were frankly beyond the pale. Again, the subject of another morning's conversation, but um, that, that caused the work to prolong. So um, delays during construction can prolong duration of time. Um, you know, when we pass the bond, uh, we only have so much preparedness to engage the work immediately. So for example, um, for fire, or well, not police department in 2010, but certainly in, in regard to 2014, Upon the passage of the bond, now we have uh, the, the resources to begin to explore the, the, the more precise scope uh, for each of the projects that we may have preliminarily identified before the bond, but not, had, had not been certain in regard to their importance or priority for the department, which is something that we gleaned subsequent to the bond. That certainly can take many months many, many months, the better part of a year perhaps, to arrive at a conclusion, then we have to develop the, the design and documentation for those particular projects. And as I mentioned a second ago, we have to schedule them so that they aren't working at cross purposes with what uh, must occur at the particular stations, whether police or fire. So these things do add up, if you will, uh, and, and create a time uh, consequence in, in regard to delivery. Now we. We're, we're very much pledged to wanting to get work underway sooner than later because escalation just keeps accruing each and every year. And so the sooner we can get work underway, the better. Just no lack of interest or desire that we have to, to take advantage of time so it doesn't work against us vis-a-vis -vis escalation. Uh, but things often interrupt uh, that ambition that we have. Uh, but, but I would assure you they're very dutiful about wanting to prosecute that agenda of work in as timely a way as possible. Do you, do you find your program hampered at all by having to compete with other city programs when bonds are issued? For example, we vote for a bond in 2010, but the full amount, of course, is not issued in 2011 because it can't overload taxpayers uh, with, the, uh, with the debt service. So right. have you found, I presume, that could delay projects, having to wait for bond funds? Do you have to sort of go mano a mano with other departments to, uh, to fight? Or do you, have you found so far that when you need bond funds, it, you, the, the city issues them and, and it doesn't hold you back in terms of schedule? Yeah, well, the short answer is no. We're, we're not affected by what other departments do in regard to their own bond programs. Um, we try and schedule uh, bond sales so that we can sell whatever number of bonds we can to, to a maximum. So we take advantage of the marketplace, you know, looking more kindly at, at larger than smaller sales. Uh, so in that regard, actually, there's some synergy with other bond programs as we present ourselves to the bond market. But in terms of the mechanics of the delivery of work, no, there's, there's no inhibition or impact from other bonds. Okay, that's up from loading up on debt service. Okay, that's good to know. And then I have one more question for you, but I'll do it at the end. I want to ask Mr. Rosetta one question about the um, Traffic Company Forensic Services Division. Any update for us on those additional funding sources for the projected budget shortfall for that project? Well, the, um, 
the project is tracking to budget, assuming that, that those funding sources will come to be. And I do not have specific information on the specific projects that will contribute to that funding source. Charles, sure, I'm sure can elaborate on that. Okay. Sure, when we discovered the, um, the misalignment between the cost of the project and the funds we had, uh, we presented ourselves to capital planning, uh, as is the requirement in those cases. And we were directed uh, to seek the participation of police and fire in regard to uh, identifying uh, projects that could be suspended uh, in lieu of, well, in anticipation of the eventual buyout of the Traffic Company and Forensic Services Division project. So two projects were identified that affected three stations at, uh, with the fire department, and two projects were identified that, that affected two uh, police district stations for the approximate sum of $8.5 million that is required, as we know it today, to be necessary to even out the cost of the project with uh, the funds we have at hand. So. Um, the intent was that upon the buyout of the project, should we need those funds, well, we, had, we could avail, avail ourselves of them. But if we did not need them, they could return to the respective departments. Um, I would love to think that we won't need them, but given how we've been trending in our bids and what we still yet have to bid, I, I don't really have an expectation that we're going to be able to return those funds and resume those projects. Um, uh, each of those projects was um, ready to go to bid. Uh, the expectation is that um, hopefully upon the passage of the next bond program, uh, ESER uh, 3, if I could call it that, in 2020 that we could then get underway with those projects that are ready to go to bid with the funds from the next bond program because uh, these are priority projects all the projects we do, frankly, given the total need of each department are priority projects. So we would, uh, as I said, be looking forward to pursuing the execution of those, of those several projects with the new bond. Thank you. Um, can you just give us a flavor? What, what will the new bond uh, have? Sure. I know it's uh, on your website, and I appreciate that, but just for the, for no, the committee and, and the public. Yeah, just briefly. What, yeah, what yeah. are the 20, what's the 2020 bond going uh, right there, to vote on? Sure. There are five components in the bond. It uh, totals $628.5 million, and as is the custom with uh, ESCR, uh, police, fire, and the emergency firefighting water system persist. Um, separately, we have two projects that are allied with this uh, rubric of emergency response, and that is the 911 dispatch center at the emergency operations center of the city at 1011 Turk and a um, yet-to-be-named disaster response facility. Um, it, it, it would be an existing city facility that would be uh, repurposed to be able to serve in post-disaster recovery and response. And that's the, uh, the, well, the other new project within the, the, the historic sort of breakdown of the ESER bond. Um, I, I just should say this, all, all three of the, one, the, the, the sort of persistent, if you will, components of the bond, the firefighting water system, the fire stations, the police stations, they, they have great need that uh, we, we've been whittling away at um, that I would expect that we would need to continue to address in order to shore up uh, the um, ability of the first responders to be um, very timely in their response to calls for service and not allow the facilities to inhibit that, which I think we've shored up a good deal of those outstanding deficiencies that were present 
in 2009 uh, before we passed the first bond, but there is still very much work to do to accomplish the, I guess you could say the ultimate uh, ambition that we uh, shore up our facilities so that they are able to uh, be in service even after a major event. Thank you, and from my tour of police stations, I would certainly support the need to continue upgrading those police stations, which I will detail more when you hear from me in my liaison report. Last question I promised uh, on, on your risks and your overall summary, Mr. Garris, of risk. Financial reporting difficulties due to citywide financial system transition. Do you want to elaborate on that? Are you seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, or, or um, are there still some issues with uh, project management? Uh, well, what I would say is that the new system debuted in July of 2017. Um, you could say that squarely in the middle, past the middle of the execution of our bonds, and it's a very hard transition to make, uh, uh, to incorporate all of the financials as we had them prior to the new system into the, into the new system. I would hope that with the next bond program, that starting fresh within the new system, uh, we could have more uh, reliable uh, retrieval of financial information, more coherence in the information that we're able to avail ourselves of so that we can properly manage the work that we have underway. That, that's my ambition. Is, does it include project management software? Is there a project management component to the existing financial system that, that Not you precisely, use? no. Oh. No, I mean, you know, as managers, we manage according to what our understanding is of how expenses uh, relate to our, our spending plan across time week by week, month by month, mm -hmm. year by year. And so in that regard, having very incisive, good, granular level detail on a weekly basis would be most ideal. Um, and that's what I'm hoping that when we undertake the next bond, we will have um, that ability. It was something that was available to us in the prior system. Mm -hmm. um, if you look at our uh, monthly or quarterly reports uh, from several years back, uh, you would see a very deep dive into that granularity. Um, I would hope that we could accomplish you know, a reasonable amount of granularity within the new financial program, within the new or next bond program. Okay, well, we'll look forward to hearing more about that. Thank you. Thank you. Other comments, questions? Please. Um, following up on one of the questions you got, uh, relative to the bidding climate and how it's important for you to get your your contracts out on the street or your bid packages out on the street, do you find that the city process can impede you in doing that? And I'm asking that question because I'm aware that for the bond for which Emily is on the transportation and highway improvement bond, they have had problems reprogramming money between categories and. It's not like they, they're doing it on a permanent basis. They just say, well, we've got some money in this category we could use over here, and then we'll pay it back. We'll make the system whole. Are you having problems of that nature that where there is room for improvement in the process? Yeah, I don't know that I would describe it as a problem. Yeah. I think there must be a certain awareness as to should a, such a scenario present itself where we needed to shift monies around that we would have you know, the mindfulness that there's an obligation to discuss that with the proper uh, entities. In, in our case, capital planning uh, is very much an interested party in how we make any, uh, I would call dramatic shifts or intended shifts in how we move money around within a bond. Um, frankly, even within the context of a particular bond component, whether it's fire or police, if we're making radical shifts for some 
usually a very good reason. Um, we need to uh, touch base with the, 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 the folks who provide the oversight on a regular basis of our, of our spending plan. And so that would generally be a conversation with the capital planning staff. Uh, depending on the, the, I guess you could say, the significance of the desire to shift monies, um, it could come to the capital planning committee as a point of information for discussion, possible approval, depending, as I said, on the, on the significance of the magnitude of it. Um, I mean, for example, when we have uh, a lot of uh, interest savings, um, we generally like to think that we apportion it according to the percentage uh, of, 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 of the sum of each component part uh, in, in, in the bond, uh, where we, where, and we've done that. Um, and where that's not possible or not recommended because perhaps a particular component requires a good deal more help, if you will, financial assistance than any, any of the other components. Again, a subject of conversation with the key people at capital planning to know that we're going to progress in, in, in a most prudent way. So th there, is, there is that ne necessary sort of collaboration or coordination with folks who are very much interested in how we spend. Um, and I wouldn't characterize it as, as problematic. It, it may be, a, uh, it's a process, is, is how I would put it. When you say capital program committee, that doesn't mean having going back to the board of supervisors, does it? No. Okay, well, you're lucky because MTA has to. Correct. Some of these yeah, they're, they're different. Yeah, lucky them. Special. Um, I had a couple of other questions that are more detailed. As I looked at your, the pie charts that you are in your report under the heading of budget analysis, I didn't see that there was whole lot of consistency among them. Some of them had a whole lot of details, others didn't. There were numbers on them, on the segments of the pie charts, and I wasn't understanding what those meant. Like for instance, on page five under focus scope, parenthetically 32, there are 23 in the green area, and then a bunch of ones and twos and threes and the others. And following up on what Jerry Drattler said earlier in, about in public comment, I would have. I would like to see breakdown of, of change order costs on different projects. I don't necessarily need to see them as a percentage of total project costs, but construction contract changes. I'd like to see against the bid price, the award price of the contract. Mm -hmm. Jerry said two percent. I'm not looking to see a change order percentage of two percent, but if it's getting towards ten or fifteen percent, then I would like to see it. Sure, of course, uh, we do have a good amount of information in the actual report that we produce on a quarterly basis that offers a good deal more detail than mm -hmm. these pie charts or this slide deck can offer you. But we're certainly amenable to providing whatever other detailed information you would like to see. And really, this isn't a question I'm coming after your department on. I think, generally speaking, at one point, I know we were talking about having a standard format for these reports. And I don't know where that is, but it doesn't appear to have arrived for us yet. And this has nothing to do with you. Sure. I appreciate that. Thank you, So I, I think before the end of the meeting, could we? I'd like to spend a couple minutes talking about that. That's all. Very good. Thank you. I have a question. Um, it was mentioned earlier about a, um, a rebid on, I think it was supplies of metal or something along those lines. Yes. It left me wondering, what are the triggers for rebidding? Or it was not rebidding, rather. <coughs> it was going out for a second round of RFP, was it? 
It's a second, a rebid. Of the, well, you, you either rebid where generally you have a sum uh, that is at the low bid end, if you will, is much higher than your your schedule uh, scheduled budget. Um, exactly. And so I, I guess the, let me rephrase the question: If you're one dollar over um, at that low end, or one percent over, does that trigger uh, going back to the market again? No. It, it's in a sense, it's triggered by the wherewithal of the city to award the work. For the for for the low bid sum that it's much much higher, so it's it's not a percentage or, or a particular number, it's according to what uh, what wherewithal we have to to address to designate for that particular bid package. Do we want to add anything? Michael? In this specific uh, instance, it was uh, for miscellaneous metals, so the uh, iron and so forth that's used on on the project. Only one bid was received, and. There's uh, typically you want two or three, and a very busy uh, trade right now, and uh, a couple of the bidders decided not to bid, and so uh, the bid that we received was about two and a half million dollars over budget. So uh, with our CMGC contractor, Clark Construction, um, they're doing an outreach to other uh, companies that they know they have good relationships with and uh, are convincing them to um, have interest in the project, which will allow us to bid in a competitive environment. So the, the one bidder knew that they were the, the only player, and so came in quite a bit high. Thank you. So this would just, just be another example of why projects get delayed. What, to my question of when I vote on something in 2000X, why five or six or eight years later, it's you know just it's another example when you run into these things I guess in this in construction environment and bidding environment when I mean we've heard from all our bond programs how construction bids have coming in higher 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 the past few years so I would think unfortunately for taxpayers it results in project delays not just in ESER but in all bond funded projects. Uh, yeah, I would say in this particular case um, it's not an in insignificant component of the work. But I don't believe it's going to drive the delay in the project per se, unless it's strung out, you know, quite a bit more time. We are very fortunate that some of the major uh, trade contracts that we bid out came in favorable to our to our estimate. Uh, so in that respect, uh, I mean, had those faltered greatly, then we would be looking at a likely delay of the project beyond that which we um, might otherwise like to see. Any other questions? Great. Well, we took public comment already. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Good to see you again. Thank you, everyone. Uh, can we call the next item, please? Hmm? We took. I took public comment early. Comment. Earlier. Remember? Oh, Mr. Drettler, I I've taken. I took public comment early. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Do you, I, do, I, do I, you remember when I was like? In, no, I just was responding to what you said. I'm sorry. My fellow members were like, "You're taking oh. public comment early." <laughs> I did. So, I will, I was trying to get back on the uh, on the bandwagon here. Item number six, presentation from the Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development about the 2015 Affordable Housing Bond, 2016 Housing Bond, 2019 Affordable Housing Bond, and possible action by the committee in response to such presentation.
Um, good morning, members of the committee. My name is Riley Katapang from the Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development. Since our last report in May 2019, we've completed the third and last issuance of the 2015 bond in October 2019. The city received, received eight bids for this issuance with Citigroup as a successful bidder at a true interest cost of 2.3%. As you may be familiar, we have three categories of expenditures, public housing, low-income housing, a portion of which was set aside for the Mission District, and middle-income housing. As you can see in the upper part of this slide, we have a sample of jobs that this bond is intended for. The first issuance, of the first issue, the first issuance was issued on October 2016, and we are very pleased to report to you that we have made great progress on this issuance. As of December 2019, 99% of the first issuance funds have been encumbered and 91% have been spent. And we expect that the first issuance will be fully expended by the end of this year. The second issuance was issued on May 2018 and as of December 2019, 91% of the second issuance funds have been encumbered and 58% have been spent. We expect the second issuance to be fully expended by the end of this year. And um, the third issuance, um, which was issued in October 2019, uh, we fully, we, we, the project will fully expend in the end of the 2023. This schedule is primary, primarily driven by the 25 million allocation to educator housing in 43rd and Irving, which will start construction in the late 2021. As you will see, our cadence with this bond has been to issue around every 18 months with the spend down of around every three years. With regards to unit production, out of the 1,462 projected units, 55% are in pre-development, 21% are in construction, and 24% are counted as completed. As you will see highlighted in the presentation, we've, we've uh, completed our second public housing development in Sunnydale Parcel Q, as well as 1296 Shotwell, which is located in the Mission District. These two developments are now in the LISA process. We also have several of our small sites programs that has come online since our last report, as well as numerous down payment assistant loans dispersed. To date, we have produced close to 40 units of small sites and over 90 units or 90 DALP loans. Just to give you a sense of the impact of these bonds, um, we were able to, to fund 50% of applicants to our down payment assistant loans lottery conducted in 2019. This coming year, we expect 143 units from 990 Folsom, 
which is located in the Mission District, to complete. And in 2021, we expect to complete our first middle income production in 88 Broadway. This concludes our report on the 2015 housing bond. And here's Jonah Lee to give the report on the 2016 housing bond pass program. I'm Jonah Lee from the Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development. Since our last report on the Preservation and Seismic Safety Program, um, we've reached some, some key milestones that I'm very pleased to provide an update on. But first, just by way of background, I don't know why I'm holding my coffee mug because it's empty. <laughs> Wish it was not empty. Um, some key milestones and just a, a, a quick background. Um, the original authority for this bond program dates back to 1992 and the Seismic Safety Loan Program, which authorized $350 million for uh, bond funding. Over the next approximately 25 years, only about $80 million, or actually about $90 million, was ever actually utilized. So the program was, was not very successful, and that really led to a um, our our efforts to repurpose those bonds, which was, which, which is the, the, the past program. And that occurred in, in um, November of 2016, Proposition C. Um, we repurposed the $261 million of remaining bond authority. Subsequent to that, in February of last year, we issued our first series to fund the program in the amount of $74 million, or $72 million and then quickly moved to, to close the first project in, um, in May of that year. And since then, um, wrapping up the end of the calendar year 2019, we've closed 10 total projects, funding over $26 million, including over 100 units, including uh, commercial spaces, um, and are very pleased to say that the loan portfolio is performing um, with no defaults, no delinquencies, and no workouts. Um, the PASS program uh, is um, an acquisition and rehabilitation financing program. It's a loan program that provides senior financing to acquire small and uh, large sites, including SROs, removing them from the speculative market and bringing them into permanent affordability. Uh, the program, pursuant to the original authority from the Seismic Safety Loan Program, also, um, also allows for the funding of um, seismic retrofits to unreinforced masonry buildings. Um, and what's, what's not eligible for funding is, of course, new construction or acquisition without any rehabilitation. Um, I like to bring up this map because it, I think it just is an important context for why this program exists. Um, you know, over the last 10 years, San Francisco has seen um, a disturbingly high amount of displacement, particularly concentrated in low-income neighborhoods of our city. Um, over the last 10 years, uh, our planning department estimates that about 400 units per year of rent-controlled or rent-stabilized housing is removed from um, rent ordinance protections. 
So we think that there's a, a, a huge need, there continues to be a huge need to preserve existing housing, to bring it under permanent affordability. And that's where the PASS program, by providing low cost, long-term permanent financing is, is, is really an effective tool in our sort of affordable housing toolkit. Um, and this slide shows how the past program financing works with respect to or in comparison to other conventional financing in a typical affordable housing transaction. The, the, the case that on uh, the slide is 1201 Powell Street. It's a, a site that was acquired by Chinatown Community Development Corporation in June of, of 2019. It's um, 17 total residential units. And um, if you look on the sort of the, the column on the left, you can see the, the, um, the, the financing that could be leveraged with a conventional execution versus the financing that could be leveraged under our PASS program. And, um, you know, just by way of comparison, you can see that one of the, the primary benefits of PASS financing is a lower interest rate execution. Most of our borrowers who get conventional financing are borrowing at rates of about 5.5%. And the, the loan terms that they're being offered on the conventional market are also shorter, which means that they can support less debt. So a 30-year <coughs> loan product versus a 40-year loan product in PASS. And all of that means that, that the project can support more, more financing. So um, in the case of, of, of this project, we're looking at $2.1 million in, in a senior loan versus $1.4 million on the conventional financing. And that, in this project, results in a reduction of about $760,000 in a financing gap that the city now doesn't have to pay. So that's a significant savings to the city. It just delivers an overall more efficient um, financing for the project and um, I think illustrates the, the benefit of this, of this program. Um, I'm really happy to say that by all of our metrics of success, we've, we've demonstrated good progress with this program. Demand for the program financing continues to be very, very strong. We've invested almost $27 million to date since our first closing in May of last year and have a robust pipeline of approximately $170 million in additional, additional projects. Um, in terms of preserving affordability and permanent affordability of at-risk housing, We've, we've financed 10 different projects, over 104, uh, 104 units, including 14 commercial spaces supporting locally owned, uh, locally owned businesses. And maybe most importantly, we're keeping San Franciscans in their homes. So we're you know, in those, those 10 different developments that represents almost 200 households that have been stabilized, who, who are not at risk of, of eviction. Um, and and we're, you know, through our financing, through our below market financing, we're able to, to lock in affordable rates in these cases and on, on average of about less than 60% AMI. Um, and then strong loan performance, this is, a, a, of course, a really important criteria. We want to make sure that when we're making loans, that we're making good loans that are, that are going to perform over their, their lifetime. Of course, the, the history that we're looking at is relatively short at this reporting period, and I, but I'm confident that it will continue to be strong at our next report. Um, that continues. Uh, oh, sorry. We'll do it. One more slide. Anticipated pipeline and next steps. I think I mentioned that we have a robust pipeline of about 
uh, $170 million. We're going to be working on um, you know, continuing our originations, and we think that uh, across the entire authority for the $261 million remaining authority, our total authority, we're on track to deliver approximately 1,400 units, um, including uh, commercial space. And, um, and uh, so we're going to be working with the controller's office on, on, on lining up the, the next series um, expected to be issued sometime in this calendar year. And um, we'll continue our, our tracking and, and reporting. And uh, I, that concludes my presentation. Do we have a liaison report? Uh, I mean. Well, or. Yeah, I don't have a liaison report yet, because that's not until May. But I did, I did meet with them. So thank you for making time, Benjamin, Riley, and Jonah. Um, met with them and saw this report early. Uh, I don't. I cleared up some of my questions then, just about some of the timing of some of these things. Um, uh, obviously, there are multiple components of financing, which is why you see some news. I had a question about one of the small sites in my neighborhood versus the timing in the projected package. Some of that has to do with those multiple financing sources. Um, I had the opportunity to answer my questions. This is a notoriously difficult bond to deal with, uh, especially because it's. It deals with a very emotional subject. Like we're talking about keeping people in their homes and things like that. How much value can we put on that? How do we assess that? These are really difficult things. Um, I, I, in general, I'm pleased with the quality of the reports, the conversations. I'm going to be going out and hopefully looking at a few sites before I do my liaison report in May, just to get an idea of what is there um, and, and know a little bit more about this from my report. Um, I would echo what has come up with the others. I think uh, just in general, something we're going to want to see more of, uh, just some more detail about like what is going on with the specific financing of some of these projects, I think is a good thing for us to dig into a little bit more when we're talking about like, um, you know, whether or not there are a lot of change orders on certain um, developments that you're doing. Um, yeah, I know there's uh, also going to be an upcoming audit of, I believe, the 2016 I can't remember um, the schedule off the top of my head. I know I read that in the report. but um, So I'm looking forward to digging into that and seeing more about that as well. Uh, but in general, I'm, I'm pleased, um, and I appreciate the hard work and the diligence of everyone in the Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development when I do have questions and want to follow up on this. Questions, please? You mentioned confidence that loan performance will continue strong. Why are you confident? I'm confident because we um, we have prudent and industry standard underwriting standards that when we size these loans, so we make sure that all of the loans have uh, an assumed vacancy rate, they have um, debt coverage ratios, they have, uh, we don't make the loans until they've achieved stabilized operations, um, we, we, we capitalize reserves sufficient to meet the long-term capital needs of all the projects. So in terms of mitigating the sort of foreseeable risks facing the portfolio that could affect financial, physical, or, or um, regulatory compliance, we have um, sh you know, strict procedures in place to, to address those. I have a couple questions. Um, I've just read, you know, in the Chronicle the past couple of days, some articles that concerned me. Um, one today about, I guess, a private 
uh, multifamily housing owner who was off had offered the city a number of buildings. The city showed some interest, and then it went into a black hole. Now, this is just based on, of course, the Chronicle's report. Could be wrong, could be right, but. Um, and then I, I guess yesterday, a parking lot in the Tenderloin could be used to house some homeless people. It isn't. The city owns it. As a taxpayer and as a citizen, I read these articles, and I think, what the heck's going on here with the, uh, with the Office of, of Housing? Um, so it seems your program directly addresses at least the first, today's article, about oh, property owners that are offering multifamily housing to the city. Can you address today's Chronicle article and just... Yeah, I, I th think you're referring to the, the article about the, the Veritas yes. that's currently being offered for sale. Um, so conversations with, between the city and, and the, the seller have not commenced. Um, it was the COPA ordinance passed by the Board of Supervisors, which authorizes qualified nonprofits to have a right of first refusal. Essentially, the first opportunity to purchase multifamily properties when they are when they are when they are offered on on the market. Um, and um, you know, it sounds like a number of those qualified nonprofits did express some initial interest in some of the sites. But didn't follow up. That's that's not something that's been um, in done in collaboration with our with our office. Obviously, um, our office is is interested in in trying to preserve affordable housing, particularly the rent stabilized stock. Um, and you know, this I think it certainly presents a, a unique opportunity, but also a very complicated and, and expensive one, but one that we are currently looking into. You are looking at it. It seems yeah. you would jump on it. Right. Yeah. Okay, thank you. And my other question was regarding the 2015 bonds, the, the presentation, uh, the Shotwell and Sunnydale projects. I had a question. Who, who manages those projects once they're completed and occupied? Um, well, in terms of ongoing management, the, the city plays a continuing role in doing the ongoing asset management of those of all of city finance projects. So we do, we, um, we have our sponsors submit an annual monitoring report, which includes a certification of compliance. <coughs> we review physical needs assessments on a periodic basis to make sure that the, the assets are, are sufficiently capitalized with respect to the long-term capital needs. Um, we make sure that we review the rent rolls to make sure that the, the units are being offered at the affordable rents that are pursuant to our, our restrictions. Um, and, um, uh, yeah, that... that mm -hmm. I guess should. maybe, Jane, maybe when you do your liaison report, I'd find it helpful, similar mm -hmm. to what um, Kristen was saying about having police and fire come when we hear about the ESAR bonds on is the city meeting your needs? I'd like to know if these projects are meeting the needs of the people who live there. I mean, I want to know what, what the return on my investment is. I mean, we're paying for these projects. I want to make sure they're not allowed to go to hell in a handbasket once they're built. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's, an that's the extreme, but I, I, it would just be helpful to hear from people. Are they being well-managed? Are they kept up? Because these, these, we spend a lot of money to build new affordable housing, and I just want to be sure that the people now who live there are happy, and that I'm, I'm sure I'm not. I don't have questions about use of the bond proceeds. My question again, it's it's, it's kind of the questions we've raised before about parks. When we build new parks, are they being properly maintained? That type of thing. That once I, I just want to be sure that once the bond in our role, once the bond projects are done, 
we don't just say see ya and not, and not worry about their maintenance because that will then end up costing money again. For sure, I think the, the our office is is completely aligned in that. First and foremost, we we um, you know, this is about the humans who who live in these in these buildings, um, and we have a, as I said an entire division in our our asset management group um, that that whose sole purpose, full sole function, is to monitor ongoing compliance, both with, um, as I said, the occupancy restrictions, physical conditions, as well as financial performance. And part of that, of course, includes responding to tenant inquiries and concerns. So we, we field those calls, and I can say that there, there really are not that many, um, that maybe the most frequent call that we get are, are, um, is from, uh, you know, households who are frustrated that um, you know they've applied for uh, an apartment at a, a, a development and weren't selected in the lottery process because largely because the demand is so much higher than the, the supply. Okay. Still, I would like I, to hear I, I, from somebody who just, I mean, I guess I should probably go out and take a look at the projects myself and I confess I haven't, but uh, it would it might be helpful. Yeah, in and maybe more quantitative way and, yeah, and not, yeah. not. So, but uh, this, Peg and her team can, can help with some of, some of those investigations, I think, and we can also look at what type of investigations are already being done. Yeah, and we, we talked can, about having um, affordable housing be the subject of the next time we go out and do a public perception survey um, in connection with the GoBox work. And we talked about it last meeting and the one before, and... Benjamin McCloskey had helped us with looking at a list of sites that might be possible for this. There's not a lot of completions that would allow the same sort of package that we experienced with the bond and road um, projects that we chose for the last public perception survey. Still, there's a couple of ways to approach surveying in this area that I think could get at what you're asking. And um, Director Natoli, I know, has been thinking about this a little bit, so we agreed to kind of hold that thought over for at least one meeting with the idea of trying to develop a public survey approach focused on housing. That was your interest as a committee. Great. Now, so the last thing I'd say is I do have a friend who was able to obtain her home through the SLIP program and is very appreciative of that program. It's worked very well for her. Is the SLIP program part of PASS? Well, we mentioned... No, it ended the milestones. It, just, it was part of the bond program. Okay. Yeah. Um, I do have a couple questions. Um, for 2015, are you, are you the right person to talk to? Um, ask the question if okay. we get the right person. So um, I think we're going we're gonna to come up with a, um, a, a standard template for this report. I've never seen one that was so oriented around issuances, so we, we can give some feedback on, on that. Um, uh, what, I, what I think is really missing from this um, is... Uh, the, on the last slide, um, you know, what we, what we want to measure what, what you thought you were going to do and then what you actually did, and this is just a line of, of what you did, um, which is, could change every month. And so, um, so I think that uh, there's a number of things that we can improve about this report, but most of all, like, um, I, think, I think you did a pretty good job in the 2016 um, in being oriented around success metrics, including metrics of success. Um, so I'd like to see some of that in this one so we can really understand what it is you were trying to do and what you actually did. Uh, so if you look at the written report that we did in the 2015 one, yeah. uh, we attempted some of that with the metrics and how unit counts have changed over time. Uh, so yeah, page 41, we 
we've explained how when we first implemented the bond and we were first reporting to GOBAC in 2016, what the unit counts we were expecting and then what, where they're at now and what the variance has been and, right. and a little bit of explanation of why. Are there, are there additional? I think that, that, that we should talk about that in this meeting. Uh, like that, as a that is absolutely what, what we want to talk about. Great. Is what you said you were going to do and what you actually did, not. Okay. Okay. So it's good. Yeah. Good. Yeah, I, I found page 41. I just I couldn't internalize it all so quickly. But, um, but that's, a, that's absolutely it. Thank you for pointing that out. Um, for 2016, uh, uh, the, I thank you for doing a metric success. Um, I would love some more um, uh, details on this one. Um, for example, demand on pass financing continues to be very strong. How do you measure very strong? Um, how do you measure very strong? Yeah. Uh, you know demand is very strong. <laughs> and I, know, I know it's very strong because we have <coughs> right now on hand, we, for our first issuance, $72 million, of which we've already originated about 27. And I have demand. I have requests. So it's the investment of the money, not the units. It's... It's not the outcome. The so I'm, I'm, I'm worried about the outcome. <coughs> so how do you how do you tie a bunch of money into um, an outcome for the people that we were trying to help? Um, well, in, in that, it's really about trying to, to uh, in terms of the outcome outside of the financial investment. It's about it's about stemming the loss of the, that 400 units of rent stabilized stock that's that's being removed from. Um, Protections under the rent ordinance every year. That's, so, uh, that's the so how do you? So you're measuring it against the 400 units, and so maybe that's that's how you measure success: is how many of those 400 units is saved, not. And we've and we've and to that it's the, the to date the 104. 104. Okay, so 104 of 400 intended. Um, that's great. Thank you. I mean, this is from the last time we had this conversation. This is much more information than than we've had before. So I do appreciate that. Um, uh, the strong loan performance, congratulations, that's fantastic. Um, uh, I, I asked last time, what are you doing with the loan? <laughs> the, your, people are repaying loans now, so you've got money going out, you've got a little bit of money coming in, that's great. What's, what, last time I asked this question, there wasn't an answer to what do we do with the loan proceeds? Loan proceeds come in and um, a, a portion of them, one, approximately 1% of the interest on the on the market rate loans this is going to be, get a little bit in the weeds so the loans every single project that we've what we financed so far has three loans from the past program a market rate loan a below market rate loan and a deferred loan that's um, a, a a detail that relates back to the original bond authority where there were these three different components the, suffice to say that, that when we get loan repayments that come in, a portion of the repayment gets kept for administrative fees for the program, and the rest goes back to the city for um, re repaying the bond debt service. And the portion that goes back to this, the city is really only 1% of 1% on a portion of the loans. Not even, it's not like 1% of the total loans. It's 1% of the market rate loans. Okay, so um, I'd love to see that finance in this report to understand okay. how that money is flowing. Sure. Um, how it flows out, we understand. How's it, how's it flowing back in, and if it is at all. Um, this is a new type of loan for governance, or a new type of bond for governance, and I find it very difficult to understand where all the money is going and, and all that. Um, 
What are the age of the loans? You said you you gotten re repayment, strong performance of that, but I, from if I remember correctly, very they're, early. We, they're very young. Right? They're very yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, they're very um, I would call it immature loans. And then the history for a forty-year loan, these were loans that were all originated just within the last year. The 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 oldest one we originated in um, in May. Right. So we would we would expect nothing less <laughs> okay. than a hundred percent performance at this point. Yeah. So um, uh, so maybe if you could add that in there is the is the age of the loans. It would probably be be a little bit more um, um, frank, like yeah. an average, like, like a weighted average life of the. Sure. Loans. Yes, that would, that would be helpful. Um, and I the, I suspect these are riskier loans anyway, and so I I'm not sure this program is being measured on being absolutely. I don't, I don't know that I would say, characterize them as risky loans um, because we're not really taking market risk in the same way that other other lenders do in in the San Francisco market. The 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 rents the the rents that um, all of these projects have are are significantly below market, and on average in this portfolio, it's less than 60% AMI, so we don't really have market risk per se. I would say that the risks that we, we do have in these loans is just, um, did we build in enough cushion? Is there, um, you know, how, how are the sponsors able to, to manage those loans? And that's why we have our asset management <coughs> group doing the compliance reviews, reviewing the physical needs assessments, um, looking, at the, look, looking at all these metrics. Right. Great. Any other questions? Yeah. Oh, go ahead. So I'm just kind of curious about the commercial, the retail space, commercial properties. Well, could you just give me a couple of examples of why you choose one and, you know, kind of the goal you're trying to get out of that, having a commercial property? Yeah. Um, it's not certainly not a requirement of the program, but what we've, we have found is that particularly in the small sites, program, a lot of the, the housing stock is like, you know, four or five, maybe 10 units above ground floor commercial. Um, and that's just the housing stock that we're working with. Um, we've, you know, we take a conservative approach to underwriting commercial space. Typically, we assume a 20% commercial vacancy on the, on the rents. We want to look to make sure that um, their, the commercial leases have a, a long term, that they're with credit tenants if, if possible. But we're also balancing that with the, the policy benefit and policy goal of trying to support local, locally owned businesses, small businesses. Um, and, and so that's, you know, in effect results in, in us assuming that they'll, they'll get less commercial revenue than, than maybe another lender might assume. Um, and I, I, one example of a, a commercial project that we're I think it's in the in the the project summaries in the report. Forty-eight thirty Mission Street. Yeah, this is this is the. I actually, unfortunately, I don't have the the names of the different tenants, but this is a little bit unusual in that it's a, a 21, 21 residential units and six commercial spaces. This is definitely on the larger side of sites that have more commercial space than than others. Um, did I answer? Yeah, I'm just kind of curious because you, so basically you're subsidizing retailers, right? And you're hoping that small business, family-owned business or local business. So I was just kind of curious on how that really worked, you know, because they have to have, they have to be selling some type of goods or service, you know, so you really, it's a lot of research on your part to make sure you, they go, 
you want somebody that's going to be somewhat successful so they're not struggling. For sure, and and we've we've also been um, connecting many of these commercial tenants with the Office of Economic and Workforce Development. There are a couple of new programs that they're running, uh, SF Shines and Community Cornerstones, which provides additional capital funding for those commercial spaces. On average, it's like twenty-five to fifty thousand dollars per commercial store uh, per storefront. Um, and those funds going primarily towards costs that wouldn't necessarily be funded in, in our MoCD loan program, um, such as like you know uh, some accessibility work or um, tenant improvements, um, and so all of those things sort of contribute to the viability of those 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 commercial spaces. So, like you mentioned, the, the 400 units we lose to to rent control. So a lot of businesses leave San Francisco because they can't afford the leasing. I, I've seen it happening all the time. So I mean, I so do you have the same type of like looking for measurement? on retail, similar idea of like, so many businesses leave, we're trying to fight it back. Is that something else to conclude in your report along with the residential units? For sure, and, and that's why we started reporting on the number of commercial spaces in our, in our portfolio. It wasn't established as a, as a specific goal because the, the, the bond authorization was primarily about preserving affordable housing and, and permanent affordability. So that is the goal that we want to stay true to. I think preserving commercial space specifically for locally owned businesses is a, a, a positive externality, something we'll continue to report to, but I'd be hesitant to establish a, a specific goal around it because it's hard to, it's hard to know what, what, what we would base that off of. Without a goal, you're just being opportunistic. I mean, I think I think we, what we what we like to see in the bonds is is understanding what what the goals of the bonds are, and that the bond group is following those goals, right? And so I think it would you for sure, said yeah, that for sure. And and the goal, as I said, the, and the goal is preserving affordable housing. The pr preserving commercial space is is a uh, you know a, a positive benefit. It's a benefit that that is outside our specific goal, mm -hmm. um, and it's sort of outside of the original purpose of the bond. So why are you doing it? Because it comes with the buildings that they buy. They oh, I see. Space in the buildings that they have to deal with. Okay. Right. Okay. Sorry. Any other? So, yeah. so back, oh, sorry, real quick. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> so basically, there's sometimes there's businesses already there then at yes. times. Okay. Yeah. So they would continue to be there. And so you purchase the building. Okay. I'm just trying to get wrap my head around it. So would you be real rehabilitating those commercial establishments or you just leave them as is and you just now own, they just now own the building in some cases there there is rehabilitation on the commercial space primarily our our funds go toward uh, pr preserving and rehabbing the residential space but to the extent that there's seismic retrofits and and other things um, and, or other sources of funds that we can pair with our financing to do commercial tenant improvements we certainly want to do that Great, thank you very much. Okay. I think you're on. Okay, cool. Um, you showed a slide before of the location, the areas where there was a high number of people below medium. Could, could you put that back up there again? Yeah, um, there's an area in the northwest part of the city where you're saying it's 
either 59 to 79 percent or 79 to 98 percent low income. Some of the area you're showing there is like Sea Cliff. Um, why would that be? <laughs> yeah, it is, but that's Sea Cliff there. <laughs> Uh, it's it's um, this is based on census track data, which aggregates, um, you know, multiple neighborhoods. So it's 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 in it's in, it's entirely. I think we would expect that you you might see some neighborhoods that oh this looks like, it's a um, relatively affluent neighborhood, but it's included in a one of the more darker red, uh, colors. Okay. Um, and one, and sorry, and one other, one other comment I would make is that this this is based on on data from 2017. So, um, you know, new census. Uh, there will be a new census coming up this year, um, and and uh, unfortunately, I didn't have time to update this this heat map uh, for this presentation. But for the next report, we can we can do so. I'll look forward to seeing that. Um, one other question on page five, the. Last item here before the photograph above the photographs it says the bond targets several priority populations including low-income working families veterans seniors and disabled individuals is there any residency requirement in San Francisco before people can get on the list for some of these housing options these housing programs um, there is a um, it, there is a um, all affordable housing financed by the city, whether through the PASS program or through other programs, has a, a residency requirement. It has to be your primary place of, of residence. Do, do you mean... I think he's asking, like can someone just move here and qualify? Exactly. Or do you, have, do you have to live here a year, five years, 20 yeah. years, something like that? Oh, so there is, there is um, in some cases, not for this program, but in, in others, there is a, um, a, like a San Francisco work-live preference that um, as long as you work or live in San Francisco, you have a, um, a priority preference in the housing lottery. Mm -hmm. uh, but it, it's not based on how many years you've, how long you've been a, a resident. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, um, I wish there were, yeah. because we got an awful lot of people who are living here already who could use this kind of assistance. And if the if the issue gets muddled with people arriving, you know, last week and saying, oh, I need help, you know, we're, we're never going to take care of all the people who are already here, who have been here for a long time, who really legitimately need the assistance. A, a, a point well made, and I think it's, uh, you know, something that we're, our office is, is trying to work out in, um, you know, in compliance with the fair housing laws, of course. And that introduces a fair amount of complexity in how to actually implement a program. Oh, yeah. Our office does also administer, in addition to the work work live preference, uh, a certain neighborhood preference for I, I believe it's is it 25 up to 40, in some cases up to 40 percent of the affordable units being offered through our our Dahlia portal, our housing portal, up up to 40 percent. Um, are offered for residents within that you know specific within a sort of geographic proximity to the the project that's being mm -hmm. so we are trying to do that but again it's it's about accomplishing that without violating the fair housing rules
But um, I, I don't doubt it's a complex process, and a, but a worthy goal just the same. <laughs> well, that's all. Any other comments? Thank you. We'll take public comment. Good morning, my name is Jerry Drantler. The affordable housing presentation did not include a single project financial metric on bond expenditures. And members' comments on developing a standard presentation format are appreciated. The presentation reminds me of the annual performance review process when an employee would tell me what they did without reference to their performance objectives for the year. I'd like to thank Member Larkin for clarifying that my questions were intended to be a general requirement and part of a standardized bond presentation format that is overdue. It is my hope this year will be the year of the standardized Siegelbach bond presentation format. And lastly, a public perception survey is a great example of what Siegelbach may do and not what Siegelbach shall do. Can we allocate more resources to shall do requirements? Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Drattler. Great. Item number seven, presentation from the city services auditor regarding the 2016 public health and safety bond expenditures, <coughs> expenditure audit and possible action by the committee in response <coughs> to such presentation. Good morning, um, Chair Chu, members of the committee, Mark De La Rosa, Acting Director of Audits for the Controller's Office, City Services Auditor Division. Um, today, I am joined by Simon Wadsworth, Director from Cumming Construction Management, um, which is the firm that we've been working in with in the last four years uh, to complete our geobond expenditure audits. Just by uh, way of background of the second slide, uh, we started this geobond expenditure audit program back in 2015, 2016. And so far, we have completed nine audits of the various geobonds. Uh, we have a few others in the pipeline that I'll talk about later. And I'll turn it over to um, Simon, who will go through uh, some background on the uh, firm uh, for the benefit of the, uh, the new member, as well as the uh, results of the audit. Thank you, Mark. Good morning, committee members. Um, I am uh, associated with Cumming Construction Management. We are a firm of roughly 800 people internationally, um, and we've been around for 25 years, primarily in the construction industry. Um, as Mark had mentioned, this, the completion of the 2016 Health and Safety Bond was our ninth audit that we've completed. I'll keep the project description brief because I know uh, item eight is the, the overview of it. But basically the bond uh, approved was 350 million uh, for the construction, acquisition and improvement of critical facilities that provide health and safety services to city residences. The, uh, these include three programs of which the bond allocation was 272 million was allocated uh, for the public health project, which was the seismic retrofit and improvements to the Zuckerberg San Francisco General Hospital. 
58 million was associated for the public safety projects of the neighborhood fire stations and ambulance deployment facilities, and 20 million was associated with the uh, homeless service sites improvements. <clears throat> so part of our scope, we uh, tested um, audit samples from the first and second bond issuances. Um, public Works had spent 69.5 million against the first bond and 8.9 against the second bond issuance for a total of 78.5. We tested 75% of that, uh, 51.9 million, of which 72% was tested against the first bond and 99% was tested against the second bond issuance. Uh, Public Works provided uh, numerous documents so that we could analyze and make sure everything was spent in accordance with it, such things as construction contracts, design and engineering, and also provided internal DPW labor invoices so we could see who had built against the project. <laughs> So very, very, very quickly, we, uh, of everything that we tested, we found out that all expenditures had been tested and uh, conformed with the, the legal text in the bond and didn't take any issues to any items that were spent out. Um, no recommendations at, at this time other than the public works keep spending and ensuring that money is spent in accordance with the bond. That concludes our presentation uh, very quick. Um, just wanted to say thanks to uh, Public Works for their uh, cooperation and responsiveness throughout the uh, audit. Uh, we'd be happy to answer any questions that you have. Please, yep. So you mentioned that some of the testing was on labor reports from DPW. Now, DPW was a part of all these projects, but they also subcontract in the, some of these projects, correct? Co correct, yes. So. Um, certified payroll, do you guys ever look at that as far as uh, some of the subcontractors that their, you know, that their uh, workers are being paid properly? Not in this, not in this test, we didn't look at okay. certified payroll. Do, do you ever, in, in future testing, is that something that uh, should be tested to make sure that the subcontracting is, uh, I know DPW has plenty of uh, job reports, but their subcontractors are supposed to also submit a report for them because they're, they're being subbed. Okay, we can definitely look into that. Obviously, a lot of the subcontracts are either let out by a, a master contract or a master agreement that we do look at. Okay. Um, but we, we don't go into the certified payroll. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so who, I guess I got to ask for our, our committee, who, who would, I guess? That's where I got to find, I got to, I guess I got to find that out. <laughs> um, OLSC. OLSC. Okay. Because, I mean, I know you probably do, like, random testing. Yes. That was it, thank you. Okay. Um, I have a few questions, as you can imagine. Okay. Um, so just so for the other members, um, in this uh, year's meetings for GOBAC, we are trying to um, uh, orient um, the audit with uh, the liaison report um, with an intention to use the audit as, as one, of the, one, of, one of the ways that we help answer the question of, is this bond on budget? Um, just so you know, um, the you know when you talked about the background and your project objective, you said to determine whether bond funds were spent in accordance with the ballot measure. We struggle to figure out how whether bond bond funds are uh, uh, spent in accordance with the ballot measure, as you can probably hear heard us ask again and again. Mm -hmm. Why did you make that decision to do that? How do you define that? Um, a lot of times for? in the legal text in the bond, it says that it can only be spent on things like this. Sometimes there's durations on when bond funds can start, so we generally look there. Um, 
this bond text was very uh, was, seemed to be very simple, um, so there wasn't those kind of time durations that we saw. Um, so generally, everything we we said, as long as it was spent in accordance with the projects and that the scope of work should be called out for, that's what we looked at. Okay. For test one. Um, when you when you worked on something like the 2015 affordable housing, which we know the bond funds are moved around to different projects, <coughs> how, how did you reconcile that that they were that they were fun were spent in accordance with the ballot measure? That one again, that the the affordable housing, the legal text. Um, I personally came on late on on okay. on that one. Um, I can definitely get more information on that one for you. But generally, the legal text in the bond is what we what we stick to and seeing how it's done. If anything deviates, we do raise it and we do flag it with the relevant group and we have those discussions beforehand before submitting the finalized report. Okay. Yeah, I didn't mean to put you on the spot on that one. That's okay. Um, <clears throat> what did you think of Mr. Uh, Dratler's comments about uh, measuring financial performance of these bonds? I think it's helpful. Um, at least particularly when a bond's early on, understanding how much you've spent and how much you've got left to spend and if that, if what's left to spend is adequate enough to perform mm -hmm. the final scope of work that you need to do. It's, it's probably good to follow, yes. I'm wondering whether we can add that, that kind of analysis into these types of audits. Um, I can certainly uh, consider that in our um, future audits. Um, I know that in the pipeline we have a couple that um, we haven't audited yet, the 2016 affordable housing. Uh, but in the uh, future ones that we'll be um, uh, doing on the expenditure audits, we can certainly uh, include the uh, the financial performance um, as part of the objectives. Okay. Do you think you can make a recommendation um, at the ne at our next meeting on what those metrics could be? Um, does it do, do you understand the, the the challenge that we have with some of these bonds? Not, uh, honestly, this one isn't as complex, nearly as complex as ESER, um, for example, or the affordable housing, or you know all the you know. Or the, or the affordable housing that was just the, the 2019. Um, and so we're struggling with how do you, how do we govern these things? And certainly governing on the financial side is really, really important. Um, and this audit is good because it, you know, makes sure that, you know, the transactions are, are good. But I don't, I don't know that it's going as deep as it possibly could, uh, that we need it to go um, to be able to really measure. Let's only work with you on that. Hmm? We'll work with you on that. Okay. Thank you. Any other comments? Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Public comment? Fine. No public comment. No public comment. We'll move on to item number eight. Liaison report on the 2016 public health and safety bond and possible action by the committee in response to such presentation. Yes. So I, I am the liaison for this. Um, as you probably know, I work at UCSF, and some of these bonds are actually... Um, uh, for the benefit of um, our partnership with um, Department of Public Health at Zuckerberg. Um, and so I do work actually closely with the people that are, that are on the UCSF side of this bond, and, and they are very um, happy with the, the way that this has been progressing. Um, I have, uh, the, this bond came on the heels of the, of the, um, the hospital rebuild, um, and so I think that uh, the success of, of, of this bond to date is, uh, heavily reliant on um, all the policies, uh, the procedures and, and infrastructure that they put in place for that for that bond. So I think we're lucky in this one um, that uh, that uh, the team that we have on this continues to to um, uh, deliver at the level that they did. I think at that for that bond. Um, 
I don't have any other comments from a liaison perspective. Um, again, I think it's fairly early in this bond. Um, uh, and I have the general complaints that I always have about these types of bonds, about there's lots of projects, the money's being moved <coughs> and all that. Um, but uh, I think there's less risk with this one because the Zuckerberg piece is such a large financial amount of this. Um, so that makes me feel fairly comfortable. Um, I'm sorry I don't have more of a structured liaison report for you. Are there any, is there any public comment on my? Um, okay. okay. Yes, I just, I'm yeah, sorry, I right have here. to throw this Thanks. in. <laughs> After reading again this article about the ER at Zuckerberg General. Oh, right, yeah, I saw that. I mean, we built this beautiful new hospital and they, they can't staff it properly. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's sort of the same issue that we're, bond fund projects are getting built. But what happens once they're built? And I mean, boy, we could go. I mean, Jane's raised this before about housing, and it's fortunately, it seems every bond area, it's not just about uh, funding new facilities, but then, of course, this managing them and things. So I'm sorry I said well, that vent for a moment. I think that, that, we, that we should have general funds, ongoing programmatic funds, to support the new capital things that we come up with. So I think that, that sort of, of course. yeah, of course. I get what you're saying. Any other comments? Great. Item number nine, presentation from the City Services Auditor regarding the CSA mid-year report, CSA liaison report, possible action by the committee in response to such presentation and report. Good morning, members. I'm Peg Stevenson. I'm the director of the performance uh, part of the city services auditor. And um, I think maybe all of you except Mr. Matthews have been here for at least one of our periodic reports to you on our activities. Um, so I, we'll just run very, very quickly through uh, the background. Um, we are a creature of Charter Appendix F, as you're aware. We serve as the city's internal auditor. We report on the quality and quantity of city services. We do benchmarking, uh, public information, and uh, there are a couple of very specific requirements about measuring and reporting on the city's performance in relation to standards for streets, parks, and sidewalks, contracting, a whistleblower hotline, um, many specific clauses in Charter Appendix F that you're familiar with. Um, every year in advance of the fiscal year, we do a work planning process where we um, do some risk analysis. We meet with departments at the executive level and down a couple of levels in their management. We look at audits, anything that's changed in their operating environment, new laws that they're trying to comply with, and try and work with them to develop a comprehensive program of technical assistance and performance work and audit work that will help them deliver their services and improve their compliance. Um, we. The budget is uh, created through a two-tenths of 1% set aside by fund, which is part of the charter requirement. As a practical matter, in fiscal year 1920, that means we have an operating budget of approximately $20 million. And there's also a carry-forward budget of unspent funds from last year, about $4.6 million. And then we also get a small allocation from the uh, capital and bond funds, which supports the type of expenditure audit that you just heard presented from um, Cummings and some other activities. 
Uh, we have approximately 68 full-time staff, including all the audit staff, my staff, and then the operating folks and budget folks who support our operations. Um, just looking quickly at the next slide, so our budget looks like the city budget. The city's you know, big departments are our large clients in that respect. So general fund is right there at the top, the Department of Public Health, MTA, Human Services, and on down the list. Um, so when you look at our work, you'll see that we're doing um, a great bulk of our work for the city's largest departments. Uh, we try and, you know, there are many departments that are general fund departments to us. So police, fire, uh, for example. Um, and so we, there isn't a calculation within the general fund allocation that says, you know, the department on the status of women is one-tenth of one percent of the general fund. It's more of a risk basis that we uh, allocate our general fund work in, but we can certainly talk more about that if you're curious. Um, there are two units. Uh, I'm the director of performance. Mark is the acting director of audits. Um, we've just listed quickly here our kind of major areas of activity. Um, then the next couple of slides, um, you are recipients of all of our notices when we publish a report. Uh, I've listed all of the reports that City Performance published between the start of the fiscal year and the end of December. Um, some of them are compliance in nature, our annual performance reports on streets, parks, and sidewalks are there, the issuance of our performance measures report, and then the others are uh, report outs of our special projects that are going on. Um, I will just mention a couple of highlights of the things we're doing thing now that are critically important. With our large clients, Department of Public Health, uh, we're doing a project that's been wanted by them for a long time, which we call Patient Flow, which looks at it's kind of every unit in the health department. Uh, how many patients do they have? At what cost? What's their length of stay? How do they come into that unit? And then how do they get referred out? You know, to help the department understand how patients are moving through all their units and uh, what the cost management is appearing like in different parts. Critically important project, really interesting outcomes, I hope, will help them plan. Um, for capital planning, you've all seen the new building going up at 49 South Van Ness, uh, big residential tower in the front, big, big city office building in the back, which will have uh, the departments that issue permits. Uh, most of it will be building and city planning, but everybody else who issues permits is moving in there as well. Uh, Department of Public Works will have desks, uh, uh, Entertainment Commission, and our project is to help the building managers, the folk that are uh, creating the plans to occupy it, make sure that we're not just picking up existing operations and moving them into a new building without using the forcing function of the building as an opportunity to improve permitting. Um, do more uh, work with the clients and the citizens on the front end so that when they come in, they receive help from the city to understand codes, can move properly through the sequencing and um, spend less time having to have be in a physical brick and mortar building at all and do as much as they can online and over the counter. Um, our particular work is helping organize the uh, front entry points. Uh, you know, people will come in and get advice and get referred, and also the cashiering, so that we're having one way of taking money and uh, better understanding and control of all the fees that are paid through city permits. So there's a, a cross interest there with the controller's interest in just good financial control. Um, the only one of other of these that I'll mention is. Um, there's a lot of movement coming up on mental health. Um, you'll recall the discussion over whether or not there would be a new uh, mental health uh, facility and or programming put on the ballot um, in recent ballots. 
I think it's good that that was forestalled, at least for the time being, and some members of the Board of Supervisors and the Health Department and the Mayor's Office are now trying to work together on designing new mental health programming and possibly putting forward a facility which might appear on a future ballot uh, bond, bond funding request. So we're working with them on the planning and programming and trying to help uh, be an interdepartmental liaison on that. Um, next slide, I've just listed the programs that we carry out on an ongoing basis. In this bucket, I put our performance program, streets and parks standards, the lean program, where we're teaching business process analysis and improvement and then act, enacting it across all of our city client departments, the data academy, where we just teach basic software skills, and the nonprofit program, which is uh, working with about 12 city departments to monitor CBO uh, contracting compliance together. Um, we have improvement pro projects going on in each of those every year. And now I'm going to turn it over to Mark, who will talk. Oh, I guess I did include a couple of other slides here. Uh, Healthy Streets Operations Center. Um, I guess I put these in here just to give you a little bit of detail on a couple of projects that are underway and give you a little bit better sense of some of the products that we put out. Um, just a sentence or two on each, if you can flip back to the SFPD one. Response time. So this is a project that we did with and for the police department to improve reporting and transparency on response times. Um, for a long time, they had been reporting as their response time what was essentially a drive time. And we worked with them to change the definition of response time to fit a citizen perspective. So now response time will be counted as from when you make the call to 911 until they arrive on scene. And that's a much more, um, uh, I think, what a citizen understands and expects. And so we'll be reporting on that. We worked with them to set targets. And um, one of the most interesting things that came out of it is the uh, C-type calls, which are non-emergent. You know, your car's been broken into, you came back from vacation, your house had been burgled, there's no immediate danger, but you're still making a police report. Um, it can take a very long time for those things to respond to. There's still criti critical public services. So once we looked at all that data, they're able to understand the outliers and figure out how they can improve response times on C's in particular. Um, we think we're doing pretty well on A's, lights and sirens, emergent calls, but C's really need work and improvement, and you could see that through this data analysis. And then uh, on healthy streets, uh, this is an interdepartmental uh, effort where they're trying to do a joint command sort of emergency response type approach where the departments that all have some kind of um, responsibility in responding to 311 calls and police non-emergency calls on homelessness and street conditions are working together to have our responses be more standard and more consistent. So we're sending out some combination of um, housing and homeless outreach workers, police, public works, in some cases the street medicine um, uh, crews are responding, and we are doing the data analytics and reporting for this group and trying to help them improve their structures, improve how they manage and queue the work that they get from 311. Um, interesting new initiatives happening here. We're getting some funding and support from uh, Bloomberg Philanthropies, which is very interested in this type of collaboration. And so a bunch of people just went to New York to kind of get some coaching and advice from uh, Bloomberg on this project. And I'll stop there and turn it over to Mark. And on the um, CSA audit side, just uh, one quick note. Um, so one distinguishing factor between uh, the engagements that we endeavor in CSA audits versus CSA performance is that on the CSA audit side, we mostly adhere to the general accepted government auditing standards or the yellow book. It's basically the uh, standards that we abide by to ensure that all of our engagements are based on 
um, appropriate and sufficient evidence and that we, uh, we plan according to uh, the um, auditing standards and procedures. Um, so this slide is basically um, just depicting um, six main buckets of work that we um, that we have in CSA audits. Um, the first being the um, the construction audit um, program that we have. Um, this is where, as we just uh, presented to you, um, our geo bond expenditure audits um, is included. We also do uh, performance audits that are related to construction and capital programs. Currently, we're uh, completing an audit at the MTA on their construction and capital um, procedures. So we're basically looking at their um, whether their um, procedures and policies are effective and efficient in completing their uh, capital improvement plan. Uh, we plan to issue that um, either February or March um, of this year, so in the next few weeks. Uh, we also have our uh, body of work under that um, looking at construction contract closeouts, so just ensuring that all of the, um, the key requirements of each of the uh, contracts that we let on the uh, Chapter 6 or, or construction-related um, are completed before we uh, close the projects. Um, another bucket of work that we have um, right in the middle is the uh, citywide compliance um, audit program that we have, and this is basically the suite of work that we we do that looks at the key business processes across um, city departments. So it looks at um, transactions, uh, including our uh, P-card uh, transactions, just ensuring that departments are complying with all of the uh, procedures um, and that are within the uh, accounting um, 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 basically rules and regulations. We also look at um, our cash transactions, our um, procurement, our payroll, um, our inventory. Those are things that basically cut across various city departments. And we conduct a risk analysis, risk assessment every year to determine which departments to do those cash audits, payroll audits, inventory audits. And at any given time, we have about five to six different departments that we're auditing um, that are under those categories. We also have our suite of work um, under performance audits, and these are basically above and beyond just looking at the compliance of departments on policies and procedures. These are also looking at how we, the city, can be more uh, effective, efficient in using our resources. So some of the examples of those performance audits are looking at, and we're actually completing our um, audit of the uh, Mayor's Office of Housing's Below Market Rate, um, or BMR, um, program, uh, looking at their rental program specifically, just ensuring that um, certain eligibility requirements are being adhered to and that the department actually has sufficient um, controls to ensure that um, oversight of those various projects are, are in place. We also have our audit of the, um, let's see, the nonprofit monitoring, um, which is basically a citywide audit that we're doing uh, involving six different departments, uh, looking at um, the efficiency and effectiveness of the department's oversight of certain contracting um, requirements. Uh, we're focusing on whether we are uh, ensuring that we are um, collecting and are actually monitoring the performance of, of the uh, nonprofits against whatever is in the contract. Um, and there's a whole other suites of uh, performance audits that we do. Some are divisional, some are management um, audits, but really looking at effectiveness, efficiency, and best practices. We also have on the uh, bottom um, corner of that slide our suite of work on the IT cybersecurity audit. So we do have a team um, that um, is involved in uh, conducting penetration testing, vulnerability assessments, um, things like that, just to ensure that our systems, data, uh, networks um, are and and applications are as um, secure as possible. We're uh, working with 
uh, in some of those engagements, um, contracts, um, basically um, vendors who are um, more, um, who have more experience in these, um, in these uh, areas than, than we do. And we're, as uh, so we're going and trying to collect all of those internal knowledge so that we can do those pen testing and vulnerability assessments in the future. And of course, our whistleblower program is part of our um, suite of work, um, as well as following up on the recommendations, because every time we issue an audit, we ensure that we have um, the corrective actions um, are actually being taken by the departments and that those reports are not just going uh, nowhere. So we're uh, um, following up on the recommendations every six months until those recommendations have been uh, completed or issued. So just a couple of um, highlights of some of the performance audits that we've actually completed in the last um, six months. Uh, we've completed a total of uh, about 19 audits um, and, and reporting. And on the next slide is just highlighting an audit of the, um, the airport's inventory management system. So this is looking at the policies and procedures of the facilities division that is basically charged with um, the, um, a lot of the maintenance of the different facilities or road work. Uh, so this is looking at um, how effective and efficient their processes are. And based on the, um, the criteria that we developed and that we basically follow um, based on the maturity models set forth by the uh, Institute of Internal Auditors, um, that the airport um, can definitely um, uh, have opportunities to, uh, to further improve their, um, their inventory management. Uh, the next one is just uh, another performance audit that we completed at the Human Services Agency, or HSA, um, of their um, Office of Early Care and Education, uh, looking at specifically the city-funded portion of that um, program on the uh, child care subsidy, um, just ensuring that the contractors that we contract with are actually adhering to the eligibility requirements and some of the oversight um, procedures. And the last but certainly not the least, um, just wanted to highlight, again, similar to what we just reported, uh, we have our geobond expenditure audits. We've completed nine, and this is something that we'll continue to, uh, to, to conduct, especially for those that are still uh, pending that we have not yet audited. Um, as of today, we've completed nine, and the only ones that we haven't really touched are the, uh, the two other affordable housing bond to 2016, 2019, of course. Um, as well as the 2018 seawall uh, bond program. And we'd be happy to, um, as, as mentioned, uh, work with you in basically reconfiguring what that um, touch of the ones that we've audit already audited will look like, given that we obviously don't want to um, duplicate a lot of the, uh, the testing that we've done, but we want to add value to the, um, the future uh, bond um, audit work that we'll be doing. And we're uh, happy to answer any questions. A question for Peg. For the Healthy Streets Operations Center, that's ongoing. That audit is in process, right, Peg? HSOC. Yes, it's ongoing. Um, Great. It's, it's not an audit. We oh. are the data wranglers and trying to help them improve their uh, structure and reporting, but it's not an That'd audit. That'd be great. It, it needs tremendous improvement on structure and reporting. Mm -hmm. And I would suggest that your team that's working on this reach out to all the city's community benefit districts they augment, as you know, basic city services and have had a lot of trouble <laughs> working with the city when, when they are addressing uh, clean and safe conditions on the streets, whether it's just picking up garbage, uh, trying to get homeless to services, et cetera. 
coordinating with the city to get all the data accumulated by our local CBDs into the city system so the city really does have accurate figures on what's going on. Very difficult. It's been an ongoing problem for several years. Um, I'm going to report back to the CBD I live in that they should plug into this. But I truly think it would be very helpful for your staff to contact all of the community benefit districts. Actually, that exact issue came up. I was not part of the group that went to New York for the, this Bloomberg meeting, but liaison with community organizations and including them in this process was um, one of the chief recommendations that came after their meeting. Great. Thank you. Any other comments? Um, I'm the liaison for the CSA, uh, but not the whistleblower. Um, so every all the rest of it. Um, I, I have been um, keeping an eye on the CSA's work for about seven years or eight years now um, through the through the GOBOC. Um, I'm consistently impressed with their ability to um, simultaneously uh, do projects that keep the lights on with the compliance and the security stuff, um, while also uh, investing in some of the future. Um, knowledge of uh, SFGov in general with the lean program and the training programs. And then finally, um, uh, in all of the reports, there's always uh, something that's addressing immediate needs, something I, I saw in the newspaper recently, and then all of a sudden, uh, the team members <coughs> is getting involved in. So I'm, I'm really, really impressed. Um, the other thing that, that strikes me is that um, the team couldn't be successful if they didn't have the trust of the departments um, that they work with, um, and the departments wouldn't be reaching out for help if um, the trust wasn't there. And so I'm, I'm also very impressed by that also. Um, so um, good, good work. Um, and that's my, yeah, please. Like I think it was you mentioned uh, risk-based allocation of resources for the audits. Can you talk about that, explain that to us? Um, I can ask Mark to comment as well. I mean, in general, when we're looking at our work orders and our work planning with the departments, when I say risk, partly I mean trying to make sure that we're focusing our efforts in places of maximum risk, maximum numbers of clients, dollars, challenges to compliance. Um, so, you know, if you're working with a health department, you want to make sure that you're focusing your attention on uh, patient care and the bulk of their activities, and then the audits. Um, unit does some more specific risk testing, which Mark can speak to. Yeah. So at any, um, in any given year, there's definitely more ideas that we can um, certainly audit than the resources that we have. So one of the uh, key things that we do is we conduct these um, risk assessments, so the various key business processes, as I mentioned, uh, just to ensure that we are hitting those um, key risks that are really exposing the city to the most um, um, you know, uh, types of you know, bad things that can happen as possible. Uh, so that's one way that we basically uh, um, uh, prioritize the work plan in terms of which departments to touch, uh, given that we only have a certain number of um, audit resources at any given year. Uh, we not only look at the requirements that are in the books, um, basically in the city charter and the admin code, which if you list them, there's definitely a lot more than what's in the uh, chapter, in the uh, appendix F of the, um, the city charter. So we use that uh, information and then we conduct our own risk analysis based on um, you know, the data that we collect, um, information that we collect from the whistleblower program, since there's a lot of um, uh, key risks that emerge out of those investigations. Um, so we want to make sure that we 
as appropriate, touch on those um, key risks from a performance audit perspective. Um, so it's really um, at any given year, and right now we're um, you know starting our work planning for next fiscal year for FY 2021, and you know we just try to make sure that we allocate and we focus on the key departments that uh, require the most um, attention at any given year. So that's really how we um, kind of translate the uh, risk-based um, um, approach to our, at least our staffing or prioritization of our work plan. In the May meeting, we'll be looking at their work plan, their proposed work plan. Um, and they, uh, every year, ask for our feedback on that. Um, and uh, another thing to keep in mind is that um, we can also direct efforts. I mean, as we have, we've talked a little bit about that already, a couple things, but don't, don't hesitate to um, come up with good ideas that, that we could direct into next year's work plan. Awesome. Thank you. Is there any public comment? Good morning, my name is Jerry Drantler. One of the mandates of a city services auditor is to ensure city services are needed and are cost effective relative to other cities. The CSA should be looking at department inputs and the department service outputs. A simple example is road repair. Labor and materials are inputs and miles of roads repaired is the output. I have never seen the city's cost per mile of road repair benchmarked against other cities. The CSA has a $20 million budget with a $4.6 million carry forward. Why such a large carry forward? I remember when the CSA staff was 50 or 54 FTEs. How and why um, were approximately 14 FTEs or 30% increase in staffing added and what new or more frequent services are the citizens of San Francisco receiving for the increase in full-time staffing? I believe the city this year has a few hundred million dollar budget shortfall. I would think it would be useful for C. Goldbach to understand the approximately 3,000 or 10% increase in FTEs. The city has added over the last few years and specifically the new or better services the citizens are receiving from the 3,000 more FTEs. I'd like to clarify departmental performance audits versus financial control audits. Performance audits address the effectiveness of the city department in delivering services. Financial control audits deal with financial controls. Data wrangling was mentioned. Data wrangling is certainly important and it falls under the category of a may-do requirement, but not a shall-do requirement for the CSE. One of my favorite topics, being a former CPA, is risk-based auditing. Risk-based auditing requires an enterprise risk analysis. Once you identify the risks for the enterprise, in this case the city, you rank them highest to lowest, and then you allocate audit resources against major risks. It's that simple. I've been asking for this assessment many times, also when I was on the CGOBAC, yet it's never been provided. Thank you.
Thank you, Mr. Drattler. Any other public comment? Seeing none. Item 10, opportunity for committee members to comment or take action on any matters within the committee's jurisdiction. One, fiscal year 2019 to 2020, C, Gobok Work Initiative. A, whistleblower program review. B, standardized templates. E, expenditure audit. D, public finance, upcoming bond issuances. E, housing, housing public perception survey. Two, other committee business. A, Siegelbach fiscal year 19 to 20 work plan. B, other committee businesses. I know you're trying to get out of here, so I'll talk very quickly about each of these items. We keep them as standing items in case there's uh, updates or comments to report. Um, the whistleblower program review, I've emailed a couple of times with the members who are interested in this. The status is that Audits is refreshing their pool of contractors who could provide this through an independent um, contract. We will. We are underway with drafting a short scope of work, which would we would send out when the pool is refreshed to auditors that can do this type of work, ask them to bid on it. Um, actually, if there's a company that the members like that's already in the pool, we can just propose a contract even without a bid process. And so we should be able to send a draft scope of work to um, Commissioner McHugh and your other members who are interested shortly so that by the time you meet again, I'm pretty confident we can have a, a test contract on this underway. Uh, standardized templates, we've started work on um, compiling all of the reporting that's done, including to you and to commissions and others, so that I, I was a little out of date myself on understanding the reports and cycles that are being issued by the different departments. And then um, uh, Chair Chu has volunteered herself as the liaison on this, on this subject, so we'll be able to meet with her to look at the matrix. And I've been taking notes throughout your meetings on the types of improvements and standardization that you'd like to the report, so we'll be able to come up with a, a kind of proposed draft with her and work with Public Works on that. Um, I'll skip over expenditure audits, and uh, you have a memo in here about the upcoming bond issuances. If you have any questions about that, Vishal, from the Office of Public Finance is here and could answer them. Uh, housing Public Perception Survey, we touched on this very briefly. And again, we're refreshing our pool right now of contractors that do public outreach and um, perception and polling and that kind of work. So we should have providers ready shortly. And um, uh, Member Natoli is, uh, I think, our primary liaison on this. And as we've discussed before, there are a couple of uh, possible ways or audiences that you might want to test in affordable housing. Voters and citizens of the bond was one. Um, residents of the project is another. A third was uh, managers, owners, builders of affordable housing projects. And so we need to do some work with um, uh, Member Natoli to kind of focus your interests on that so that by the time we have the pool refreshed, uh, we think we could come up with a scope of work that would be useful. So I guess I, I'll, the next step I'll do is just to uh, reach out to Member Natoli and uh, schedule a meeting about that to talk about some of these ideas and kind of get our thoughts in order um, while we're waiting for the provider pool to be refreshed. Does anybody else want to join that? Um, yeah. Okay. 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 Yeah, that, well, you can tell um, Jane. He's talking about, I think, Oh, the template? You're talking about the template? Yes. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. that sounds good. But for the for the uh, perception study. Okay. okay, and I think we're fine with just two people. They, we can do that without. Got it. The others, I don't have any um, comments or updates unless you have questions. 
Um, I do have some questions about the, the bond um, uh, forward calendar. Michelle? Uh, so uh, the seawall, that we're ready to go to, to out for bonds for the seawall. The last thing we heard that they were having a legal. That's right. So uh, the uh, bonds were approved by the Board of Supervisors in the middle of last year, uh, but the transaction itself was, was held up uh, because of pending litigation. Uh, the litigation is now moving forward in the appeals court. Uh, and uh, just through the discussions with the city attorney's office and our bond council, uh, we we feel uh, that the city's case is looking relatively um, strong on the merits, and and they're, we're comfortable with uh, moving forward with some type of bond issuance because the uh, the port uh, has uh, appropriated some interim harbor funds to get through the the project's work for this fiscal year. Uh, but before those funds run out, we would like to, to uh, work with underwriters to to issue bonds. So we're we're planning to do that um, in the next couple of months. Okay. Uh, the next the next issues we're working on right now uh, is a refunding and probably soon after the refunding is completed we'll uh, move forward with the seawall bonds. Okay and why why 50 million is kind of low is that? Uh, it's the uh, well when the port comes they can give you a little bit more detail but my, my understanding of the general uh, s scope is that uh, this is the first set of pilot projects to test various approaches for this the seawall problem. And so the, the first issuance will be funding um, smaller scale projects. And then once they uh, have a better sense of how they want to approach the, the major overall scope of the project, then they'll be issuing larger amounts to, okay. to fund the balance of the project. That's good news. They're going to try something first. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, thank you. Uh, what is geo refunding? Uh, so when we issue geo bonds, we, uh, it, it's essentially re refinancing to, to achieve uh, interest savings um, mm -hmm. so that we can uh, um, so we have outstanding bonds that are, have already been issued seven, eight years ago, nine years ago or more. And uh, when we sell bonds, we uh, issue them with, with a feature for uh, optional redemption early uh, so that we, so these, these new bonds will be issued to pay off the old bonds and the new bonds will be issued so at a lower interest rate. It's like you're refining your house. Essentially, okay. yeah, it's analogous to re refinancing house. Okay, thank you. Um, uh, the transportation and road improvement um, that's from 2014. Do you have any idea? I, this is—I know this isn't your jurisdiction. That why now? Do they? Uh, They've been sitting on these bonds money for a really long time. And uh, well, they've been working through the the funds from the previous issuances and uh, the status of the projects. Uh, they're okay. they uh, they've expended a significant amount of funds and uh, they're they're ready to fund the next phase of, of the projects. And uh, so we've been working with them, uh, reviewing their spend down schedules, uh, and. You know, they, they have a good plan, I think, to, to spend the next tranche of money. They're getting some uh, movement? Good. Some movement. Uh, I believe we'll be issuing, we're, we're just starting um, the kickoff of those those transactions, mm -hmm. and I believe they'll be presenting at the next GoBock meeting. And so uh, you'll have an opportunity to uh, to get a little more detail about the, the, the plans for the next issuance and the status of the current uh, currently issued bonds for the transportation projects. Uh, right. So there's 258,550,000 uh, left in authority, and so uh, we're expecting to issue 190 to $200 million of that. Uh, so we expect there'll be a fourth issuance to okay. come. Okay, cool, thank you. Any other comments? Uh, just a quick question. Um, any any more update on 2019 affordable housing in the past couple of weeks? It's all TBD up in the air, so I'm just curious. 
yeah, we're, we're working with the mayor's office of housing. Um, we expect that there will be an issuance, but probably in the next fiscal year, not in not in this current fiscal year. Okay, thank you. One other question, I just Peg uh, or Mark, when you get um, that audit done of the capital expenditures on the MTA bond, can I get a copy of that, even if it's a draft, and you can email it to me or whatever? Referring to the uh, MTA capital and construction audit. And procedures, yeah. I think you called it. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. yeah. That, that should be uh, issued in February or March, and we'll certainly um, forward it to uh, yeah. the Siegelbach. Because if it's just in the package, you know. Will do. The sooner I see it, the more likely I am to read it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Great. Any other comments? Is there a public comment? No. Seeing no public comment, I think we're adjourned. Thank you. Mm.